Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Podcasts don't think like we do. People forget. I gotta start over. Podcasts don't think like we do. People who forget like that. What the, Jesus what Christ. The fuck. Sorry. Podcasts don't think like we do. People who forget that get themselves killed. When you look into a podcast's eyes, you are seeing your own emotions reflected back at you and nothing else. It's true. It's true, right? It's a good line. I didn't go for the most iconic line. I looked for the truest the line. line. Uh, true friends. We are, of course, hashtag the true friends. Yep. And this is Blank Check. This is a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their career and given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy, crazy passion projects. I can't speak to it. I didn't You're sleep very well. a disaster. I'm a disaster. Why didn't you sleep well? I mean, dude, what, what, a, what a time waste of a question. The old backaroo? Back's not doing great. Sure. Uh, I don't know if our guest knows this. I, I have a serious back injury. How'd you get that? Work. work. Doing stunts? Dialogue. Dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the way that uh, serious actors injure themselves on a stunt-based TV show. Is it a good shot? Uh, Marshall. <laughs> you think it'll make the show? It, I, it's not. It's certainly not like the moment in uh Can Mission we talk Impossible about Fallout, Fallout right now? Can we start yeah. right now? Yeah, because like uh, for film nerds like us, you see Fallout and you turn to whoever you're seeing it with and you go, that's the shot where he broke his ankle. And it's like really exciting to people. And they're like, seriously? And you're like, yeah, he's running on the broken ankle. I, I had no idea that that shot was going to start a minute and a half before the injury that he was just going to book across that roof. And then when I realized that that's what I was seeing was like a rubber band just being pulled and pulled and pulled. Yeah. I was going to end with like, like Tom Cruise actually injuring himself on screen. Yeah. I, it doesn't end. That's the middle of the chase is what's crazy. Well, I'm saying that shot. Oh yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It is uh, insane. There is a moment I cannot get over in that movie, which is when like, as part of the like comedic dynamic of Benji giving him all the like dumb glib notes where he goes, uh, can you go any faster? And Tom Cruise looks like he's running as fast as any human can, and then he like throttles up to the next gear. Yeah. I cannot get past that moment. It's great. I've also I now when I need to get hyped up about stuff, I listen to the the track, the score track on the soundtrack when he's running. Which one is that? Because I listen to the score I, a lot. I think it's called like Windows and Rooftops or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there's the best track. Now I'm going to look up what my favorite I, I, track. I've seen it four times. I saw it twice last weekend. And um, That's a good weekend. I want to tell you, it is a good there's a really cool thing music-wise in that movie, which is that moment where he crashes the motorcycle mm-hmm. and then pulls out a knife. And you're just like, what are you doing, motherfucker? You got nothing. And then he slips into the hole and then you're underground and it's cold and dark and safe. They start playing a cue that is actually just a lift from the old 60s TV show. Oh, copy, cool. Copied and pasted right onto the movie. It doesn't sound like anything else in the movie. And it's this weird dog whistle that just like, I, I wept with joy for like four minutes after seeing that movie for the first time. I just love it. I do think it's the best score out of the six movies. No, no. I, I think this one's incredibly good. It's a good score. Incredibly Great good. score. Incredibly Great good. score. Your no favorite Ghost Protocol. Those strings though. Yeah. I think this is the best score, but it's like never going to get enough credit because it's so much repurposing of the pre-existing themes. It's pretty distant from the last two scores. I also love the Rogue Nation score. I think the Rogue Nation score is fabulous. It's a a series with good scores, and I like that they switch it up. 
Yeah, I do too. I do too. But this the, the series five was very orchestral. Yes, and there's uh, number six is much more series five. I just said I don't know. What yeah, the fuck I'm talking. Uh, uh, Fallout is much more like electronic and musicy and weird. It's very like uh, haunted. Mm, Fallout. Yes. Fallout though. Fallout, Fallout is out. a celebration of life. The it's Fallout. a celebration yeah. of dance. All your yeah. good intentions. <laughs> yes. I won't let you down. The blood. I won't let you down. You choose. Je suis désolé. I won't let you down. You choose to accept it. Uh, so it's a podcast about Fallout, uh, directors who have massive success early on in their career, and sometimes those checks uh, get... <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sometimes those checks clear Ben, and sometimes they fall out baby. So many series on the films of Ang Lee. We've gotten to his second Academy Award for Best Director. It's called Life of Pi. Yes. That is the movie we're talking about today. Yes. His, his highest grossing film? Worldwide, I think so. Shit. I watched Pi. Ben. <laughs> no. Ben. Damn it. Didn't you do some other bit like this recently? What did you text us? I can't he, remember. We told him to watch Taking Woodstock, and instead he watched Woodstock, Woodstock 99, 99 on no, YouTube. No, but no, there was oh. something with Billy Lynn as well. What was the Billy Lynn thing? I can't remember. Uh, I just, I'm going through a, a rough patch in life. We told him to watch Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, and he thought we were telling him to take a long walk. <laughs> and that I did. He did. That he did. Uh, uh, it's Ben's, the, Ben's it, going through a transient stage. Is that is that fair to say? Uh, I'm going through an air mattress sure. at various friends' apartments stage. Right. I think it's important that we document all of our personal lives on this podcast Definitely. so that if we ever listen back, we'll be like, oh, oh it's a time that's capsule. what was happening yeah. to me. I, yeah. What day? Can we say what day it is? Because you guys no. never do that. No, no we're not going to do that. Do that. Um, so, I, people, we want people to triangulate it, yeah, to yeah, guess it not, based not, on context. I'm not clues. giving you a date. If you but, say a date, I'm going to bleep it. Yeah. 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 By okay. the way, Alec Baldwin just dropped out the Joker movie. So <laughs> Life of Pi is his third highest grossing uh, domestic and his uh, highest grossing worldwide. So the Crashing far. Tiger and Hulk beat it worldwide or domestic? I mean, yeah, okay. And worldwide, this was uh, by far because I think his second highest grossing worldwide is Hulk, which made two forty five, and this made six oh nine worldwide. That's such a weird thing. Uh, this was a huge hit in India yes. and China. Yes, yeah. it was like his biggest movie in Asia. I think it, for sure, yeah. it has to be far yeah. away. Yeah. Um, to to join us on today's episode, we have a very special guest. He's a dear friend of mine. He's a remarkably talented filmmaker. Emmy Award winner? Absolutely. He's an Emmy Award winner. Do you I know this? I wish I could say absolutely to the question. To Emmy that Award kind winner. of. winner. Yeah. yeah. David, Pulitzer Prize winner? No. <laughs> give it a second. Yeah, ben, give me a minute. Ben, Fuckmaster? Hell yeah. <laughs> um, uh, his work can be seen on the new Netflix series, Maniac. Which will now will be out by the time this episode comes out. I'm over. not sure. It might be a week before Maniac. I might be oh, like legitimately be a part of like the rollout of Maniac. We'll be in the space. Okay. That's exciting, though. I didn't realize. That's great. I'm very. Is that going to be good? I'm excited for that. I, or I'm very intrigued by that. I, I, I can't put into words how good it is. Right. I like. That's I'm, really. I'm, I'm so just like freaked out and honored to be like a part of like the craftspeople that made that show. Cool. I have a small like four minute section of it that I was responsible for, and it was like a. Felt like going back to film school, or, or I just I, I cannot speak highly enough of what those people are doing. Carrie Carrie Fukunaga, right, is involved. He's sort of back. I feel like he's been chilling for a second. Carrie, there's a very good GQ article about him yeah, yeah, yeah. and sort of yeah, yeah. him feeling like I missed like four years prime of my directing life. I would have caught to up in sort of the development it. cycle. Me too. 
you don't feel like a lot of his ideas ended up in that movie. I think I, a lot of them did. Of them I think that's the stuff there. I like more in the movie. Yeah. And I have no problem with Andy Machete. I think that movie's fun. I think but that I think movie's the, solid. The stuff that really pops for me is the stuff that feels like it very much came out of his development. I like he, the part where he dances. He took the alienist and uh, and it like all the way right, right to the end and right. then decided not to do it. Yeah. You know, so I, those are two projects I think are out there and that are popular. Pretty there incubated are a lot of his stuff. Him. And I think, you yeah. know, his producer on both of them. Yeah. You know. That's the thing. I, I like, there are certain sections in it where I just wish he was literally the person choosing the coverage. You know? Like, because developmentally, I, I see him. Life of Pi. Life of Pi. <laughs> it's my fault. Now, I Ray, down this road. Ray, uh, you have worked on several Ang Lee films. No. Worked on one? Yes. You have been on set for several. I've visited. Um, two sets mm-hmm. and then I was an actor in Taking Woodstock and I was right. also a, a camera operator in Taking Woodstock right. I was you holding play it. one of the filmmakers Absolutely. so you're both on camera filming and then some of your footage ends up in the movie when he does the crazy sort of Woodstock multi-camera thing right? Absolutely. yes um, what were the two sets you visited though uh, I've, I had a pivotal life experience in, uh, life experience visiting the Ice Storm set cool. as a 7th grader nice. that was your bar mitzvah right it, it honestly fucking was. It yeah. really fucking yeah. was. Like, um, it was a, yeah, just a, a day that my life changed forever. Ray Tintori. I didn't know if I said your name. Hi, guys. Yeah. Hi. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, Ray Tintori's here. Right. So Ice Storm was like a life changer for you. Yeah, and which I would love to give you guys some of the details of. Because I think it's like yeah. the, the context of what was going on around that was just un- unbelievable. And and then I've, I I spent three days on the Billy Lynn set right. um, in Atlanta. Um, and specifically the three days that was really, they were shooting out that whole confrontation scene with Steve Martin at the very end. Yes. Oh. So I basically was there very much fly on the wall, but just seeing Steve Martin just work so hard, you know, yeah. for three days. And really that was fast. That was so fascinating just to like, to see those weird cameras and, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 And to see people sweat. I, just, you know, I, yeah. I love seeing geniuses mm-hmm. when they don't know exactly what to, you know, it's like he, I didn't, I would not say like he was perfectly in control, but mm-hmm. I feel like he's, been labeled a genius like 25 years ago now. Yes. And so it's just like him actually showing up and being like, I'm going to earn this today was just like amazing to see. Here's a question for you. Like watching uh, Angley work with someone like Steve Martin, right? Who is like uh, such a veteran at this point. Uh, and uh, Angley has this reputation for being like a man of few words in terms of how he directs his actors, you know? How much does he have to like get hands on with a guy like Steve Martin about how weird and different this process is in terms of modulating his performance because of the technology? You know, I mean, I tell you, when I say fly on the wall, I mean I was on the wall. Right. They're in the center of the room. Sure. I'm, I'm, sure. I'm not like you weren't butting your head. I'm at the monitor, you yeah. know, with like cool 3D glasses on, watching yeah. a feed of like, like not high frame rate, but really watching in 3D. I am not bothering anyone. I don't think anyone knows I'm there. And I yeah. certainly, I think good directors, as you know, do not say things so loud that everyone in the crew understands sure. the back and forth of how it, That's right. a how very it, good point. You know, That's a, uh, a big difference between, for me, like... A good director and a bad director. Sloppy like, director. Yeah. Well, there's just a thing if a director is like, I'm going to save time by just peeking my head in and yelling something. Right. They think right, they're right. saving time, but they're actually killing, like, energy and goodwill. Right. Yeah, because no. then it's sort of like your mom showing up in the play date and being like, "Why haven't you done your laundry?" You know, it like feels like that. <laughs> Pick up your room. Yeah, it's like a hurricane hitting here. Mom, I'm playing Lego. You know, 
And now you're like out of the the Lego space. I'm now playing you're, my you're Lego game where the wizard is the captain of this spaceship. What's that? I had a like long running in my head Lego like saga. Oh, cool. that was your narrative? Centered on a spaceship I built, but then I had like a wizard guy. And at mm-hmm. some point I put the wizard guy in the spaceship and I was like, I guess he's like the captain. Game changer. Yeah. And then I was like, so he does magic, but they're in space. And yeah. then they're like, right. It all sort of evolved around that. Was that sort of like an ongoing narrative then? Yeah. Was, was that, that was, was you, like you established ages. your play pattern. That was your. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I made myself like a space station that had a windmill inside of it. So there was a bedroom with the gears uh-huh. in the center of the bedroom, but then it also had like a crane on the outside. So it could like have a loading dock. That was the, that is that was super cool. That was a long narrative. My, my big thing was a was a buddy cop dynamic between a cop and a T Rex, which I oh, realized like was just movie. Theodore Rex, right, right. Which I had tried watching and given up on. Yeah, it's like this bad, bad as <laughs> right. like a six year old, right. and then I was like, but I think I can make this work. Yeah, maybe you did up in the old Bing Bong, you know. <laughs> oh boy. Um. So Life of Pi, uh, is. A movie with a, a very interesting development history. Because we are, we are. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about it, actually, context. Ray. And then Ray will get into, you know, the film itself. But like. Uh, Ray has set up true. like a small office in the corner he of has. the Audubon Recording Studio. He's got, He's got some strawberry mango, uh, seltzer. Different oh, colored markers. Two seltzers. Are you a two seltzer guy? Two coffees. Okay. A fruit bowl. A phone charger. Hey. He's got an RX bar. I don't know if you know that. Hey, great product, eggs, great company. Six, I can't yeah. remember very much. On brand. I could not get the peanut butter chocolate though, which is my personal that, favorite. Yes. Uh, have best. you tried? Have you tried the peanut butter and jelly? No. Harder to find. Very good. Worth the effort. I'll okay. say. Worth the effort. A gentleman's bar. Um, but uh, you've you've been doing like thorough research. You've been sending me over the last week all these different things. You've been like digging up, compiling, editing, condensing. And then I did not forward any of it to David and Ben because I'm a mess of a human being. You certainly. Are. <laughs> this research was now. done out, no out, out, out of crisis, I would say, more than out of a desire to be overprepared. I, there's a lot of stuff I know about the uh, the making of this film that yes. I just wasn't. Basically, I my boundary that I set was I can't come here and like spill the beans on. I'm not the Julian Assange of like Life of Pi, you know. You're not aiming to be uh, right, bl- you're not blank blow the lid on this, one. right? Right. right. Uh, your your mother uh, was a script supervisor for Angley on like a number of his films. She was script supervisor in three films and the still photographer in one film. Okay. Yeah. So it was it was Ice Storm, this. Woodstock. Woodstock, and then Billy Lynn was the one where she was still photographer. Yeah. Um, so he's like a family friend of yours, and you did like like a very thorough cross-referencing to make sure that nothing you were saying hasn't already been shared publicly by. Exactly. And then the other thing, if I can embarrass you, is you did get like explicit permission from Ang Lee to be on the podcast to make sure he did not feel like you were betraying trust. Yeah, I think anything less would have been unacceptable. Yeah. Um, I'm realizing I probably should have done the same with my father before I started talking about his financial problems four years ago. Oh, interesting. What, that might how, have been a smart thing to do. How's he doing these days? <laughs> okay. Steady. Oh, that's good. Steady. I saw I'd your say. dad at, um, I feel like the last time I saw your dad was at um, Brewster McLeod. Brewster McLeod. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, he showed up late. Uh, Ray is, I've referenced this, Ray is the person who and I've told him this is not anything he needs to feel guilt or shame about. But at the premiere of The Tick, Ray referenced how much he liked the bit of me talking about my father's financial oh, problems. Absolutely so not you, true. You, you, you invoked it in front of No, no, no. What you Peter. said, no. I just remember what it was. My brother and my father were there and you said, I feel like I know you guys better because of the way Griffin talks about you on the show. 
And that made my father very paranoid to figure out what I had said about him. Right? I think that's what you said. I, I told Jamesy, who, by the way, did not appreciate being no. called Jamesy. And who you'd never met before. And I he never. doesn't go by Jamesy now. And whenever I invoke him in childhood stories, I call him Jamesy because that was his name until he was like 10. The one story I referenced was some story about you having to have your toys cut back because Jamesy, yeah. which I thought was just hilarious. And he told me that was not what happened. It's 100% what happened. Um, James and, got the Nintendo 64 when the, the Berlin Wall came down yes. against video game I was, systems I in I our was home. the same thing. I was the, the person who had to sort of fight and scratch to get right. the fucking things. There was a video game and Berlin Wall. And then once wall, we had them, my James parents said, were like, oh, it's no right. big deal. James, he went, Peter Newman, tear down this wall. <laughs> and he got the 64 in his bedroom because I had more toys because James didn't like toys. So no one ever knew what to buy him. Interesting. I honestly think your father baited me uh, at a certain point because he was like, you know, I'm a gambling guy and like looked me really hard in the eye and I did, I went and just didn't, didn't take the bite. I'd love to go gambling with your dad. Here's the thing I want to clarify this on the record. Okay. Which my father will love. (laughs) Griffey Noom's on the record. My father had a gambling problem previously. Uh-huh. The root of this problem was sports betting. Right. That's the thing. He's like, that's less fun to me. He I wasn't would want like to go to like a, a casino, casino guy. Yeah, no, okay. I think he's gone to casinos casually, never has a control right, but problem. He would, he would call his bookie every week and be like, no, I, I figured it out. And like this week we're betting the spread on this. And like, you know, that was his whole that fucking was his thing. thing. And like, like when I see like photos or videos of my parents before, like We've I was born, a lot of their it's friends referenced a lot. Right? Oh, just right. like that was his gambling buddy. That was his bookie. When I'm like, well, who's this guy? Why did I never know this guy? And it was like, these are the guys that were conditionally. Oh, he was uh, last seen on the Verrazzano Bridge in 1982. <laughs> right. And uh, then he mysteriously disappeared. Right, yeah, but it's guy. like like needles from Back to the Future too. And I'm like, who's this guy? My mom's like, that was the guy where my your father had to stop seeing him in order for us to get married. <laughs> Did you guys not like the needles line in Solo? These really? are the guys. Oh, I, no love that. The I forgot to reference it. I Wait, what's it. the needles line? My friend Needles who died doing this. I don't no. remember this line oh at all. Oh my god, you guys are too. A hard. reference to the greatest character in the history of cinema. What are you, McFly? A chicken? <laughs> so my father had a gambling problem. Was like curtailed before I was born when my parents got married. Uh, and then independently, my father had financial problems because I've referenced both things. I think a lot of blankies have extrapolated, and it's even on the Wikipedia, that my father had a gambling like remission four years ago. Uh, interesting. Which okay. is not the okay. fact. But that's sort of the narrative that's been crafted I, between I the two I understand. I honestly think I know what happened, which was before I even met you. Yeah. I had been listening to the podcast a little bit, and I, the first thing that I told my father, I said, Griffin really talks about Pete's gambling a lot on the show. And then I think my dad told him. And I think that... He, as, oh, that's very possible. Does your dad listen to our show? No, I just told Does yeah. Ang Lee listen to our show? Definitely. Uh, definitely, yeah. He only listens to the Ben's choices, though. Here's my concern. <laughs> with the one thing, I, I, I did ask for explicit permission, mm-hmm. and I think I wrote him a... I, I showed you the letter. Yeah, I very wrote, long... A nice letter? Email. Like a letter letter? Like yeah. on paper? Yeah. An e-letter. It was a long enough email, I think, to yeah. qualify as... No, like fair a, enough. As, as, just, as just, check, yeah. just check. Just uh, check. But I, I, I explained like my understanding of the show. Like, But I think the sure. one thing I, I, I did not say is that you are a silly billy. You know, I am a silly Billy. And, and I, I feel like the way you wrote the email made me sound a lot more legitimate. Because the way you described David is accurate. And the way you described me made me sound like an adult. Yeah. But I, I, I think I was honest about what I, I think is the actual, like, the yes. quality of the analysis going on right. here. But I am, like, the, the shoe that I'm waiting to drop is, like, an email from Ang Lee that's just, like, subject heading. Who's this like, little stinker? Fart, fart detective, question mark? <laughs> you know, like, what the fuck? You didn't Who's tell me. Who's this little stinker? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, I'm, I'm the general Talbot. I just like thinking play. that I only had to think about our existence for one second. I love it. You know, he didn't probably have to think about us it. for very long. He said he, he said he was delighted. Well, he's no, but he's a very thoughtful man. I think the second he found out about the podcast, I'm not saying he listened to it, but I think he sat in a room in silence and really contemplated the notion of our podcast for six to eight hours. Right. And I love that notion. And I wish he had known going into that deep thought that I'm a little stinker, but bygones, bygones. So things we've now clarified. All right, we've all right. We're done. My clarifying. father's finances were not tied to gambling. We don't want to do Angley another summer spent camp. Eight episode. hours thinking about us. Fair, fair. I did go to a summer camp in New Milford, Connecticut. No, it was no, for no, very no, special no, no. little hush, boys and girls. Hush, yeah. Very special. Uh, all right, so Jan Martel, yes, wrote a novel. Uh-huh. In, uh huh. And it came out in two thousand one. I think yes, two thousand one. Big hit. Literary uh, sensation. It was a hit. It won the Man Booker Prize, which Ooh. is a big British literary award. Yeah. Uh, David Sims read it by the pool in 2002 on a summer vacation. Uh, and so that's, I feel like, really crucial to the Th- narrative. That's the of most this important film. piece of context because that's the moment when president of 20th Century Fox Film Production. Tom Rothman gets the email. Okay, Sims has picked it up. We officially have gone cultural uh, moment. Fox 2000 yes. executive uh, Elizabeth Gabler is hot on that book. She's the one when who she really hears that I was reading it by yeah. a pool in Bordeaux. She gets the ping. Yeah. Her beeper goes off. And so she hires someone to write a screenplay mm-hmm. and they bring aboard who? M. Knight Shyamalan. Let's get him on the very boat. Very cool. A very logical choice. He's the most famous Indian American director alive. His films are very much about like religious crisis. Absolutely. Especially he's, up until this point. He loves that's been to wrestle with theme. like Catholicism mm-hmm. and he's never really made since his debut film, like his debut film uh, Praying with Anger, yeah. he never made a movie that like really addressed identity in any particular way. So maybe this is going to be a way for him to like, you know kind of return to that initial feels, theme what a that twist. he explored. Yeah. Oh, what a twist. But that's the interesting that's thing. I mean, this thing. is very much of a piece with the things he was exploring in Praying with Anger and Wide Awake. But he has unquestionably become a much stronger filmmaker at this point. So the notion of him going back to religious material, crisis of faith stuff with his current toolkit. And it's also just exciting at that point in time to go like, oh shit, and Night Shyamalan's going to make something that is in no way a thriller is kind of exciting. Right. He says his big hesitation that eventually caused him to leave the project was that he wrote his own screenplay for the film he was like on board in it it was going to be his direct follow-up to the village it was set up and he dropped out because he said i got freaked out about the fact that it was kind of a twist movie that it has a twist at the end and i thought my name being attached to the movie with that twist at the end was going to bring too much baggage into the theater people would expect they'd be looking he was very alarmed by the twisting and i get it actually i kind of do yeah but so he instead makes lady in the water which is a triumph. He makes another water movie. It's it's a fascinating sort of like sliding doors thing where you just wonder if he had gone straight from true. the village to this. He may have like, you know, he might not have done a good job though. Like no. who knows? And also it would have been a tougher movie to make even in 2004 or five. Like, yes. you know, visual effects oh, yeah. wise and everything. Like, I don't know how you do that shit. Like, maybe it'd be a bad movie. But even just alternate reality where like he's got his deal at Disney. He moves over to Fox to make Life of Pi. He makes his Tony film. Then he just goes back to Disney and he still has that home. Whereas Lady in the Water like torpedoes like all of his major professional relationships. Um, yeah. So he drops out and they replace it's, him you're with. You're right. You're right. It's real sliding doors. Alfonso Coron. Yes. Oh, cool. Uh, and he decides to make. They really like contracted with the three like sort of visually exciting, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps like non-American directors. I yes. mean, M. Night Shyamalan's American, but Alfonso Cuarón. And then he Jean-Pierre drops out Genet. to make 
Children of Men right. and Jean-Pierre Genet coming off of, I guess, a very long engagement. Yeah. Uh, he's the next. Yeah, because that's 2004. He's the next one who signs on. Yes. Writes a, a screenplay. Again, there's all these screenplays floating yeah. around by auteurs. Because uh, every person who came onto the project really tried to make it their own. It wasn't like they were working off of the basic adaptation that had been commissioned. No, and yeah. the, because that's the thing. This is this film is credited to David McGee and no yeah. one else. Like like none right. of the other scripts, I guess, were really involved. And this is a book that people had said was kind of unfilmable. Well, like, it's were a like, book I don't that's mostly set on a boat, right. With one character, yeah. and animals, yes, and uh, and mostly just one animal, mm-hmm. and that's it. Like. So yes, that's an inherently challenging. It's got a weird narrative thing. structure. Weird narrative structure. Uh, it also has all this stuff about religion that is hard to convey. I guess, like you might worry yeah. to a mainstream audience, and it's uh, very, um, you know, it, it has this dumb framing device that can suck in movies. Yes, I like the framing device a lot movies in this like movie. Citizen Kane. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that movie's a shit. fucking stinker. What's the problem? Yeah. Well, no, first just of, like you know, the thing where it's like, hack. oh, well, let me tell you my story, uh, and then you cut back to him, and he's like, and so then the boat went over there, and you're sure, you know, like you know, like oh god. Anyway. Um, and there's also just the fact that like this this movie spoiler hinges on the notion of is the story you just saw true. Or is it sort of a metaphor for what happened? Sure. A non-literal retelling of That's the struggle, the, the internal journey. Spoiler this guy went for Life of Pi. I think that plays differently when you're What's reading the it. sled's name? Uh, Pi. Richard Parker. <laughs> it's Fight Club. Yeah, it's Fight Club. The end, the end of Life of Pi is that the sled is Fight Club. Right, and then and um, <laughs> Irfan Khan is like, you can't talk about this. Yes. The guy's like, so I'll write my novel now. Right. And then they turn over the sled and they see Kaiser Soze written on the back. <laughs> and then at the end, it turns out to be a sequel to Unbreakable. My absolute favorite part. No, no, but, but one of my top five, the breath that David takes before he says Unbreakable on the split episode <laughs> has just so much contained joy in it. That's you wonderful. Know? It's wow, re- I've, I've just rewound and rewound. It's just like, yeah. People like it when David gets into the dirt with oh, me. Oh yeah, good episodes are often like David goofy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like dog uh, when dog. when people say the dog is off the leash. Right, exactly. That's the term <laughs> they use. Hey Ben, well, uh this week we're talking about an Oscar winning movie, Life of Pi. That's true. And we are are uh, being sponsored by one of our closest sister podcast friends. Is that how to describe a sister podcast friend? I think so, yeah. Okay, it's called Little Gold Men. It's a podcast you might have heard of it. It's, uh, you know, from Vanity Fair, and uh, it's hosted by... I think I know who... Multiple friends of the yeah, podcast. I think got I know these guys. Katie Rich. Sure. You know, she's been on a few episodes. Titanic, Sixth Sense. Yep. Uh, broadcast News. You got I met her baby. She's a great baby. He's a toddler now. Oh, he's not even a baby anymore. Oh, yeah. Time, you know, is fleeting. It's a flat circle. Correct. Uh, you got Joanna Robinson on our Minority Report episode. You got Richard Lawson. He's I like Richard. Man, on so many blank check episodes. I, mean, I like all. I like all the hosts. But got, I like Richard. You got a lot. Mike Hogan, who's a very important person, but we'll get him on blank check. Why not? Sure. And uh, it's uh, it's on Vanity Fair. It's um, got Oscar on the show. Uh, Oscar himself. Oscar. Oscar. Just a statue. <laughs> Why not? Uh, sure, great. Yeah, let's let's bring them on. The, the little gold man himself, because this is a podcast where they talk about the Academy Awards, the Emmys, like awards season. They talk about movies and pop culture, uh, you know, with an eye on on the award ceremonies coming. But like, 
you know, they, they go in all kinds of different directions, especially because it's a year long podcast. They do great interviews and, you know, for look, I'm not going to pigeonhole blanky listeners, but you're a bunch of nerds. You probably care about this stuff as much as I do. And if you're interested in like the movie business and award season and everything that's coming out this fall, it's kind of essential to listen to it. And Katie and Richard and Joanna and Mike, they're, you know, they're so smart and they know what they're talking about. So check out little gold men. Yep. On Apple podcasts. Yep. Stitcher, wherever, Stitcher, Spotify, you know, wherever Spotify, you listen to your shows, Google play. What else you got? Uh, I don't know. There's others. Sure. This is sort of a bad note to end on, isn't it? Bye. Little Gold Men. 2009. Yes. Ang Lee comes aboard and says, I'm, you know, this movie's going to cost $120 million. Yeah. Fox is freaked out. They're not sure. And then I guess they eventually are like, well, all right, like, let's do it. They dragged their heels on it for a little bit because he, they were like, they were. No, they were courting him very hard. He agrees yeah. to do it. He starts developing it, and it's then he goes, expensive. okay, cool. I figured out how to do it. This is what I need. Right. It became an all-or-nothing proposition of, if I'm going to make this movie, it has to be this. I mean, do you want to weigh in on this, Ray? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try not to interrupt you like that. No, the, no, uh, please uh, interrupt us. Interrupt us, please. I think this is a really interesting dynamic as I've read about it because it seems very different than what you usually get, which is a director who's like, what I'm going to make is going to be so good that it's going to make money, and I don't really care to figure out how that happens. Sure. And then the studio's like, convince us, convince us. I think Ang Lee thought that this, they thought that this was a hit right. way before he did. Right. And he thought that they weren't serious. He thought it was esoteric. And I don't understand how you can put this sort of studio pressure on a movie that is, there's a quote I read in, in uh, some of the material you sent to me was he met with Tom Rothman and yeah. he said, what kind of movie do you think this is? Yeah. And Tom Rothman said, I think it's a family movie. Yeah. And he said, what the fuck are you talking about, family movie? And <laughs> His he said, family dies right, at so the bottom said, of the ocean. He said, what happened when you read the book? And he said, I finished it and I gave it to my wife. And he said, then what? And he said, the rest of my family read it. Sure. And he went, that's the point. Everyone I know who's read this book has shared it with their whole family. That's and how I read Everyone in the it. family gets something else out of it. It also went around my family. I'm right. sure my, either my dad or mom bought it because it won the Booker Prize. Right. They read it and then they were like, you know. Magical realism. Check it out. That was like, and the, Tom Rothman's whole cell was this movie has some weird reflection pool kind of thing where people mm. like see themselves in it regardless of age, regardless of background. And it works as sort of this like uh, Rorschach test. Have you guys read the book? Have you, have you I have not read the book. I've read them. Yeah. I do think the triumph of the book is the first part. Like and the, and the part with the family, the part where he explains his relationship with the religions, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Like that is when you're just like, I love this man so much and I love his family you know like mm-hmm. you're just so and then all the rest of the shit you're so hooked but it's because you're so like, you you're so guy. into pie yeah. yeah but yeah I mean I, I'm sorry I feel like I cut you off in the cutoff races oh my God. of 2018 stop it's okay everyone talk but yes this notion that they were courting him very aggressively that they were like this is a major commercial film and that he then started considering it and came back to them and went okay I agree with you but the only way to make it is this level of technological breakthrough, this level of difficulty sure, right. in production. And I guess 3D is like a thing right about now, right? Because it's Avatar 2009, 2010, yeah. but like it's it's sort of like brewing. This is like thing. in the lead up to Avatar when people are like, I don't know if that thing's going to fucking me, work. just me seeing Beowulf right. five times. Right, yep. right. I remember, I remember seeing Beowulf with my friends and going, so think about what we just saw and James Cameron is now making an alien war movie. And we were just like, whoa. But that was sort of, whoa. that was like the hanging promise of like, either he's going to elevate it or the thing just dies with James Cameron. 
And uh, he got really into, I mean, a thing I always think about with regards to this movie is uh, films set on water are kind of perfectly made for 3D. Absolutely. Because of the water working call. as a surface, everything above it, it makes this shadow box effect where it's like the water into a vanishing horizon in the middle of the sea, everything floating on top of that, you know? Do you see Fallout in 3D? I haven't yet. 3D is exquisite. I've heard that it's like the best post-conversion. You must, yeah. must go up to 84th Street. It's where it's still playing in 3D yeah. and see that the bulb is pretty good. And it's a good bulb? It's a good bulb, which you really got to find. This gotta, is what I love about Ray. It to be he, bright. He You're right, about, though. He knows That's which what I want to hear. Yeah. Yeah. You got to tell me where the good bulbs are. I, I've seen, I saw it uh, opening day at Arclight in 3D in LA, uh-huh. which was just perfect. Yeah. And, and then saw it uh, IMAX 2D, saw it on a shitty multiplex in Florida, 2D okay. and then saw it up on 84th Street. So you haven't 3D. done 40X yet? I missed 40X. I heard yeah. it was amazing. I heard it was amazing too. Our friend Bobby Finger Fingered. Uh, said it was phenomenal and it's like the, literally the thing that I feel most impeded in my current state of, of back injury is that I can't see 40X movies. I've had to pass on The Meg. I've had to pass on Fallout. All I want to do is be 40Xing left and right. I'm going to say is that that tarmac in Fallout is one yeah. of the most memorable things in the movie. That like opening <sighs> And it's like it's it's very much like what the water in this film feels like, where it's just anytime you see it, it's just yeah. glorious. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, so he gets into that thing. He gets into the idea of shooting the movie in India and in Beijing, places that don't really have Taiwan. Taiwan. Sorry, sorry. He goes Ta- home. Taiwan and Pondicherry, and these are places that don't really have production infrastructures. Certainly not for a movie like this. Certainly no. not Pondicherry, which is like the opposite end of India from like where the film industry is, the, right. the big film industry. Right. But they shoot obviously the, the opening stuff, the, the home stuff. In Gorgeous. And then they shoot all the water tank stuff in like Taiwan. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. He returns to Taiwan basically as like the, the prince of the country. Yes. You know, it's a, he's he, like the national hero. I, yeah. I honestly is think he really that he's that highly regarded. I mean, he did make like, he won an Oscar. He it's a little bit Tiger like Peter won. Jackson bringing yeah. the you yeah. know home. It's he basically did that thing where it's like if you go home with a movie with a budget this big, they will give you an airport. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. They gave him an airport. They and, rolled and, everything out. Right. Yeah, and so right, they filmed this movie in an airport because they didn't. Oh, oh have, like they're like, just like just take it. Right. Right. There do wasn't what you, do like what you will. a tank. There wasn't a studio. They were just like, we'll give you the amount of space to be able to build. Yeah, that. you're right. In a disused airport. Wow. I will say that every time I visited an Angley set, it's never been. Like a proper studio, like it's yeah. never in some normal. He doesn't like just go to Burbank. I, I storm yeah. shot in the in the armory up in Harlem on 134th Street, the home of the Harlem Hellfighters. Sure, um, and was so cool. And the in Atlanta, it was some funky warehouse. They were in like they all made this movie in like an abandoned airport filled with dog shit. Yeah, he's never really you know? made a soundstage movie. I think they're always pushing. I think they're yeah. always putting the money on the screen. I really yeah. think it's like, and I, I really admire it. It's, it's never like, oh, this is a really great craft service table. It's so, like, even when it's a big movie, it's like, let's wait, push this. I have a Billy Lynn question now, because yeah. I believe on next week's episode, which we definitely haven't recorded, mm-hmm. uh, um, we say that it was, it was definitely shot, really short. We say that it was shot in a stadium in Dallas, but we were, we don't say, like someone said that. And we were like, oh, okay. <gasps> uh, I can't remember which of us. I'm not, no one's to blame here. David. It's all good. It was David. Uh, but it was shot in Atlanta. The stadium scenes? Yeah. Were you, are, Did they just I, use the Atlanta there was a, stadium? There, there, no, there was a... Okay, so I, the, you don't the have, set that I visited you don't remember, it's okay. was in Atlanta and it was a warehouse where they had like the interiors right. in uh, Iraq and they had like his the, house. Right. I mean, you were had, in the office. So basically yeah. it was right. all, the, right, all that right, stuff. Right. The, yeah. There was a uh, stadium that was about to be demolished that they oh, shot all of the stadium scenes Because I was just wondering like how they accomplished yeah. the stadium stuff. It's crazy. Anyway, yeah. 
cool. Good to know. Um, so whatever no, we do, say next week. I do love that about him, and that's one of the things I, I feel like we've talked in this many series is he's got a really good sense of place. His locations don't feel arbitrary, and the movies feel very tied to them. Um, so yeah, I mean, which makes this movie sort of an odd duck in his career up until this point because you have a film whose like centerpiece, middle act, is entirely a CGI-created environment. Right. Um, but but yes, he throws out this list of demands. It has to be $120 million. I have to shoot it in 3D, which hasn't really been proven at this point. I want to cast an unknown 16-year-old to play the lead part because it has to be someone the audience doesn't have a relationship with. Right. Um, I mean, like as opposed to the super famous person that could play this part. Right, right, yeah. which is the other crazy thing. You know, it's a movie where, like, by design, there's no bankable movie star that can place in it, even in supporting roles. There aren't really positions like that other than Toby McGuire. The one they try to do. Now, this speaks to Ray and our, my, I can't speak today. Jesus Christ. Our crazy relationship really to this movie. Okay. Which is that Ray and I, who were not yet friends at the time, Years later, found out that we were both at the same screening of this movie. Okay. That was a work in progress, friends and family screening. Okay. Why were you at this screening? Because Ang Lee's producing partner, former assistant, lived in my building growing up. Mm. And my father would have friendly conversations with him in the elevator. So you got an invite. What's Ang up to now? You know? And he'd go, Hulk, it's going to be very crazy. You know? Tony Lung's balls, man. Right. That's what he said. Less caution. And he went, not for kids, not for kids. Like, he threw out his, like, <laughs> one sentence in the elevator ride. Brokeback Mountain, really good, very sad. You know, uh-huh, it'd be his, right, like, very yeah, yeah, quick yeah. pitch on whatever the movie was before he got to, like, the eighth floor or whatever. And um, he reached out to my dad and said, so we've picture-locked this film in terms of, not picture-locked, but we've locked our edit. We think I, we have our cut. We haven't started the effects. They're going to be so expensive that we want to make sure the edit is perfect before we actually do all the effects. And all right. That Would you want to come to this friends and family screening and give notes? My dad said, I will probably fall asleep. My dad's very bad at staying awake during movies. Did he fall asleep during Brewster? No, he didn't. That's like his favorite movie ever. It's a weird movie. Yeah. That movie is weird. Yeah. That's what he said after yeah. we saw it. Griff, I gotta say, that, that movie is so weird. <laughs> and, and he's right. It is weird. It's very weird. Uh, if my father was famous, I would be on Saturday Night Live now. I've like honed my impression of my father oh, so meticulously. Like, sure. Because yeah, they'd be like, good... we gotta get someone who can play Peter Newman on the show. Uh, Griff, I just, that, that movie is it's so far out there. Do you think Saturday Night Live is interested in someone doing Ethan Hawke monologuing about Elvis in The King? Can you like do I your was, Ethan Hawke impression? The thing quick. about Elvis is he always went for the money. I, I see, I lose it. I can do the thing about Elvis. You're, get, you're getting Mike Fright. You had it really good right no, before but you recorded. It's not about Mike Fright. It's about, uh, it just has to sort of be bubbling within me. As our our mutual friend who introduced us, Jordan Fish. Jordan uh, Fish. Hey, Jordan. Um, he made an AI where you could text with Ethan Hawke that was basically just took <laughs> really pretentious Ethan Hawke interview answers and just like gave oblique answers to whatever you were saying and it was awesome. Can That's I really tell funny. a terrible Ethan Hawke story? No! And the person who's terrible in the story is me. No! Oh, fine, go ahead. How short is it? Very short. Okay. Uh, I filmed a short film in high school okay. um, and I needed an office space in it because in high school I made short films about people who worked in offices. <laughs> an experience you were deeply familiar right. with. Everyone else was making up. like short films about like kids hanging out. Right, right. And then I made these films that starred adults who didn't go to our school and everyone would be like, what the fuck is this? That <laughs> was like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so I got like a friend of my father's to give me their office over the weekend and be like, hey, four teenagers and a random 35-year-old man are going to come into your office on Saturday and shoot a bunch of scenes. And they were like, here you go. Here are the keys. Okay. 
And Ethan Hawke was using a back room in the office at the time as like his temporary office. And we found it so funny that there was like this big Ethan Hawke like nameplate on the thing. And then he had his little like not mailbox, but his little like folder to put like mail into. Right. So the the guy, the lead in my movie had this big beard and we Uh had to cut it to then shoot earlier scenes before the beard has grown out. Okay. And we collected all the beard clippings and we put them in an envelope and put them in Ethan Hawke's folder. Why'd you do that? Horrible. That's terrible. I said the story makes me look bad. Yeah, it does. We thought it was really funny because we thought, like, will he open this and be like, God, I get it. (laughs) That is profound, man. (laughs) Think about Elvis. Yeah. Oh, my God. The thing about Elvis. I love that he's in that Elvis documentary and just talks about Elvis for a while and at no point is it like Ethan Hawke's relationship with Elvis is this because he doesn't have one. Yeah. He just wants to rap about Elvis. I just love how much Ethan Hawke has figured out his thing and how much we're all like, yeah, we're on board now. We're 100% on board now. Anyway, you guys were at the same screening which was, here's the movie with zero visual effects. So this this film came out in November, uh, November 2012. So when's this screening, do you think? I think this was September 2011. Does right. that sound This is right? like a long time Or is before. it earlier than that? I feel like it was like September 2010. Does that make any sense? No, that seems crazy. It feels more like the summer to me. No, yeah. It, it's, but was it 2010 or 2011? No, this, film, this film was shot was 2011. in okay. 2011. Okay, so yeah. I think it was during the summer 2011. Sure. Yeah, he took a big sip yeah. of coffee. I believe so. It was yes. like a year and change before the movie came That makes out. sense. That makes sense. And we watched this cut that is near identical to the movie that you now see. Sure. But where the kid was visibly in a tank. Okay, sure. You could see the green screen walls around him. You right, could see the right. green screen reflecting on the water. Uh, the CGI was very sort of like pre visy So it's just like, there's a tiger, but it's just like a little video game it PlayStation like a PlayStation tiger. Right? If anyone wants to know exactly what this looks like, this is public. Okay. This, this stuff is, if you just Google Hallen, H-A-L-O-N Entertainment, uh, it's a pre-viz company. They did the pre and post-viz, and you can watch. But it's the post-viz that you saw, right? Yes. Like, yes, I was yeah. watching this video. It's Am weird. Am I correct in remembering that the tiger was gray, that it, like, wasn't colored in? No, it was No, colored. it looks exactly like this. It has, okay. like, a texture map on, like, yeah. a pretty simple mesh. So it looks like a Tomb Raider, like, Absolutely yeah, like early Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider tiger. Yes. Yeah. Um, but you should also check out the other Howlin Entertainment, because they basically they have pre-viz stuff for Red Tails that's fantastic. Yeah. And for... Um, Deepwater Horizon, which is fantastic, as well as like Ghostbusters, and like ben, th- these are just awesome. these are amazing to watch. Ben, so, check it out. Ben, look, look, look at the video. Let's uh, see. Ben is Let's watching the video. Out. He is looking at. It. He's peeping the video. It's cool, he right? It's cool. The movie shredded. In the, that's the this is the thing that's amazing. Even with this level of like really simple, you know, low res, the movie fucking killed. Like yeah, people were into it. And that was the thing I found most yeah. impressive was like as opposed to imagining you watch an unfinished pre-VFX cut of like Attack of the Clones where it's all shot in a green screen and without those backgrounds and without those elements, the movie is nothing. You could tell how much thought he put into the framing, the construction of the sequences. Like there was still very clear visual storytelling in the journey of him on the boat and his survival without all the elements there. Yeah, and I think a third of the tiger shots were an actual tiger. Yeah, there's obviously yeah. real tiger mixed in when you're, when you're right. watching it. They with. never had, uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, Suraj Shamra. Yeah. They never had him and the tiger in the same shot. They use shots of the tiger isolated for those sort of close-ups or sometimes they composite together. A lot of that they then used as reference material and redid in CGI. But a lot of like the close-up tiger moments are uh, real. Basically, everything with the tiger, they got a real tiger to do it. Yes. And they filmed it. Uh, they had like a live action unit and then they had basically a big blue cage. 
that had a boat inside of it. And uh, there was four tigers with like various levels of uh, animalistic behavior. You know, like yes. there was one that basically had been named Jonas that had been uh, kind of like raised as a human, like in a bed in Canada. Like it slept sure, in the bed sure. with yeah. his trainer right, right, and right, that right. was the sweetheart. And he went to Vassar, right? Exactly, yeah. for real. And so that, that one is like, uh, whenever it's like very sensitive. And my, like yes. my, my mother said like, oh yeah, I was in the cage with Jonas. That's fine. You know, but the other ones were like, let's all stay out of the cage. That was like, yeah, I would not, yeah. to be clear, go anywhere near a tiger. Never. Ever. Uh, on season one of The Tick, when we had the Midnight the Talking Dog, cool. they had two dogs on set. And the trainer, I was like, what's the difference between the two dogs? And he was like, uh, one of these dogs is better at stunts. One of them is better at dialogue. <laughs> But you saying that Jonah was like the sensitive tiger, it is like certain like animals. You're like, oh, this guy's better at close-ups. It's for the show. For whatever reason, this animal you can project emotions onto. I have have done some heavy lifting directing animals in my life. And there definitely is. It's like they do different things and you swap them out. Yeah. No, it's crazy. With this dog, it was just like the dog had some intelligence in its eyes. And they were just putting meat on a stick and making them look at different marks. And then it, but it like it. That dog sells it more in its body language that then when you put the Mr. Ed like talking mouth over it, you know? Yeah. And it's fucking works. I would say yeah. the, just the thing about directing animals is like you set up – what you need to do is you need to set up a system of positive reinforcement where yes. you basically make a deal with yeah. the animal so that they know if they do this, they get that. And right. basically you have animals that have either bought in. Yes. It's almost like they've bought into society and yeah. capitalism or not. Yeah. They're like, oh, I'll, I'll do this even if it's, un- if it's uncomfortable for a second because I know I'll get this treat. The thing they would yeah. do with Midnight was they'd say like, good take, pay him. Yeah. And then a guy yeah, would yeah. walk over with a treat. And it was like, that was like the payment system. Yeah. Sure. Of like positive, like Pavlovian reinforcement. I prefer money. Sure. Yeah. Um, so the other crazy thing about this earlier version we saw is that clearly the studio was like, we need one big movie star in this. And Ang Lee called upon his previous collaborator, yeah. Tobey well, Maguire. To, uh, who he had made two films with. Yeah, yeah, at like the beginning of his career before True. he became a minted movie star uh, to play the part of Yann Martel. Right. In- Except no. He plays reporter, apparently. I remember him explicitly being Yann Martel. Or he that styled cop. exactly. Right. That was the thing. Because they, they in this, they, took they, a they make Rafe Stahl reporter. No, no, no. Really? He's Yann Martel. No, he's an author. He says, I loved your first book. And he's okay. like, I threw away my book. I'm I'm just going by the incredibly well-known, accurate website, Wikipedia. Okay. Where he, I know, it's linking, no, but here's the thing. It's linking to a Hollywood Reporter article that says he's playing a reporter. I but remember like, him explicitly being Yammer. Yeah, I don't know if they throw that. his name onto him. But the crazy no, you're, thing you're, is. They never say his name in, in this movie. They got weirdly didactic about trying to make him look exactly like Yann Martel, someone that people are not familiar with the visual appearance yeah, of. Yeah, they shouldn't care about that. And can you uh, Google Yann Martel Yeah, quickly? it doesn't look like, I know what Yann Martel looks like, but I mean, here, here. He's oh. got very distinctive hair. He does. He's got sort of a, a, a bouffant hairstyle. A, a curly mop <laughs> yes. of lightly parted, yeah. orangey hair. Yeah, he, he's got kind of a Malcolm Gladwell yes. style. Yes, but, but like, you know. Right. Yes. A big blonde fro. So they put Quasi that fro. wig on Tobey Maguire. <laughs> so he looked like Sean Penn in Carlito's way? Correct. <laughs> and it was the single most distracting thing I have ever seen in a so movie. Because they, they recast him and reshot it all, they must have gotten that note so many times. I mean, this screening right. we were at, which right. was like the first time they were really showing the movie to people. And I'd say there were probably like 30 people there, right? It was like a pretty big, it was like a screen at the AMC 25. It was somewhere between 30 and 40 people. And afterwards, it wasn't like a Q&A session. It was like an open forum discussion for like over an hour 
about all the different aspects of the movie. And that was the big thing that everyone threw out. And it was pretty interesting because, like, Ang Lee would weigh in with his, like, well, this is what we were trying to do. I'll explain to you why it turned out that way. Um, and the, the thing he said was, it felt like we didn't want it to be distracting that Spider-Man is in this movie. But it somehow became the most distracting thing in the world Right. That it's like they're trying to disguise Spider-Man. Yeah, no, that, that doesn't work, right. Yeah. And his performance, I remember, is being like, he feels in it, he feels committed, like sure. he's certainly trying. He's a decent actor. I thought his performance was fantastic. But you like yeah. could not fucking get over it. It was like so jarring. And especially when like in the middle of the story, it cuts back to Tobey Maguire with like this SNL level wig. It's also like distracting to have like in a movie that's mostly unknown actors and then like Irfan Khan, right? To cut to someone who is like so iconic to American audiences, certainly at that point is still like, you know, very well known and associated with like a really big blockbuster role and to just cut back to him wearing like a mad TV getup. I also think what's with your friend Khan is so good in this so movie. So fucking good. He, there's so many pivot he points that could where things yeah. could get by the film yes. that he just catches and goes like, this yeah. is now nailed down. He yeah. is. Everything's going to happen for the next 25 minutes is based off of this one little he, He's one of those just like brutally yeah. honest actors. Extremely crucial to this film's yes. success and like, in my opinion. I, I've never seen a movie with him in it before, but I you just know he's such a, like an old shoe. Like yes. incredibly, this guy is a movie star and setting him up with someone like Rafe Spall who just gets like blown over. Yes. And, and the character is supposed to get blown over. That's you know? the thing. It yeah. kind of... It, it like was to the movie's detriment that you were spending that much time paying attention to and thinking about Tobey Maguire. You kind of need someone to just like show up and do the job. I think Rafe Spall's a very good actor. It feels like Rafe almost good too. by design like in this movie, he's just kind of doing the bare minimum. Yeah, he's pretty quiet. Not in a lazy way, no, but no, no, I, I no, think no. they knew you can't have the guy Every, asking the questions overpower the guy who's answering. I like look at his blazer sometimes. I think that's cool. Yeah. I think about the fact that Timothy Spall is his dad, and then I sort of ponder both actors' handsomeness sure. and like how different they are. You feel like him and Ben Stiller are both just like waiting for their genetic time bombs to go off. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just like, yeah, right. It's like they'll wake up, they're 50 years old, and they're like, wait, what? What, what, what? is this? Happened. <laughs> um, yeah, Irfan Khan, uh, who is whose a performance fantastic was. Actor. I mean, it feels like there are a couple pieces of coverage that maybe they reuse from our version. I I can't tell, but it feels like they wholesale. I remember. I I want to cross reference with you. I remember in the version we saw, they never left the house. Is that incorrect? That's probably incorrect. Okay, because all the stuff with them walking around the city, I remember it being very housebound. Their whole conversation. But how? I mean that. That transition from them on the bench to the to the set piece of the shipwreck. There's no way that that's that true. Inside. That is true. You know, that's so boarded. Yeah. Right. And there's that. Right. There's that sort of crucial moment where they're looking out at the ships uh, in the you know yeah in in uh, Montreal or whatever. Right. And, and like the opening conversation on the bench. The opening chunk. They're very isolated. Like they're keeping them in very very isolated coverage. Yes. So I was watching and being like, right. I guess they must have only shot. Rafe Spall stuff and reused all the air from concept, but then it starts to become no, more they, and more. They probably than did a mix, right? I yeah. mean, yeah. Honestly, the thing—the thing that I don't understand, like logistically, about this movie is both times they shot those bookend yeah. things, it was two days. That's crazy. That it's is crazy. a yeah. lot of yeah. really heavy lifting to it's do. It's a lot of dialogue. Yeah, it's just two days. also I mean, crazy to think of him giving that entire performance twice. They go away. F- you know, they're in a lot of the first yeah. third of the movie, and then they do kind of basically Once you vanish. get to the boat, it becomes more it, present it, tense. It's all. Until the, right. until the um, carnivorous island. That's when they, and then you, like, he's like, the island was carnivorous, and you're like, oh, oh this right. Guy. Yeah, they're yeah. back. Here they are. Uh, Irfan Khan, great actor. I knew him because he'd been in this movie, The Warrior, mm-hmm. uh, which was this sort of, it's not a Bollywood movie. It's like a British Hindi movie 
that's kind of like a sort of it's Indian samurai movie. It's great. That okay. He's awesome. And that was the surprise BAFTA winner of like best um, British film. And he was in Salon Bombay, right? Uh, yes. yes. All, all the way back. I, I right. didn't see that till later. And um, what had he been? I'm trying to think if like, this is he's when in he's like, he's in the namesake. He's right. in he's the in Darjeeling Limited. Limited. And then uh, Slumdog. He plays. And he's in Slumdog, obviously. He's the, a, the opposite role of this. He's he plays the, villain, the guy yeah. who's <laughs> asking the questions that sparks the story. In, in Hindi cinema, he's, he's often the villain. Like he, yeah. he he's typecast as a villain, and here he's usually like cast as like because then he's in Jurassic World, he's in like Amazing Spider Man two. He's kind of great in yeah. Jurassic World, in Amazing Spider Man. No, I, he's in Amazing Spider Man one. Oh right, yeah. right. In both of those, he plays the businessman who's like, I'm sure it's fine. Like both actors play the bad businessman in these new Jurassic Park movies. Yeah, oh, that's I know. weird. Rafe Spall is the but dress the bad businessman in uh in Fallen Kingdom in yeah. Uh, no, you know, a bit, a bit of a lazy performance. I know, no offense, Rafe, but yeah. uh, he is just kind of like literally says that line where he's like, "Well, you know, we got to make money or whatever." Like, uh, my favorite thing is that Irfan Khan played Baloo in the uh, Hindi version of the, yes, the Disney yes. live he action is, Lion King, right? Or, not Lion King, Jungle Book. Jungle Book. Yeah. Yes. No, he was in the Lion King. Baloo showed up for some reason. Yes, it's a. He's also going to do the Tailspin movie, the live action. Irfan oh, Khan's doing only, the live action. If only. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. I, I wrote a paper on like postmodernism in think, college about Tailspin. It was just do you like, think if I could go back in time and sit Rudyard Kipling down, I'd be like, one, don't send your son off to war. It's going to scar you forever. Bad idea. Uh, two, you remember how there's like the the bear in your Jungle mm-hmm. Book stories? Well, that's going to be in a movie, and then that character will be a a seaplane pilot in a TV show. He's gonna run like a seaplane company, right? Shere Khan's in it too, isn't Shere he? Khan like is a, a businessman, right? Yeah. He's a businessman. In They've a, in all a been like transported yeah. to the world of like bush pilots. <laughs> like that's Louis, yeah. Louis runs the bar that they all hang out at. I will say, it I, rules. I like, think who it's had maybe, that idea, right? Louis is kind of like the Casablanca setup. Like this is <laughs> He's Rick's like place. Sydney Green. Yeah, it's like crazy. It's uh, it's like Roger Rabbit being like an extended riff on Chinatown that just like is going over the heads of like you every should be single going kid. to Disney and pitching them. Here's the sideways sequel to that Jungle Book movie it's that made so much set fucking movie. In the 30s, yes, like they explicitly reference World War One. That's what I'm saying. It's like very like, Casablanca. No, I know, but like, yeah. that's, they, they're not just like it's not just the dressing. They like address that they are in the 30s. Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, because like something like Chippendale Rescue Rangers is also just fantastic, like, right? But it's like this could just be the timeline. Remember line. the cult episode? No, I don't remember. There was that. an episode about mice that would bathe themselves in soda fountains, and it was a brainwash cult. Jesus, Christ. is the best fucking episode. Is so disturbing and like sorrowful. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I think both those shows. I think it's in the run of like t- after Tailspin. It was the Disney like, Afternoon revisionist, thing. right? Yeah. Right, with like uh, uh, Ducktales and and Darkwing Duck and that whole sort of extended universe they were making. But the weird thing is that like Chippendale Rescue Rangers is like, well, you could just go like this as part of the same timeline as the original shorts. They went from like fucking with people in yes, trees right. to just putting on clothes. Whereas this and is mysteries. like you like the Jungle Book, right? Yeah, I like the Jungle Book. Okay, okay. Yeah, forget the Jungle Book except the characters. Yeah. Oh, okay. Now, do you like bush piloting in the 30s? <laughs> do you want them to be sitting, living in a town called Cape Suzette, which is a pun on crepe Suzette? I was such a literal kid that when Tailspin went on, I would like just break down and I'd ask my parents, I'd be like, has he met Mowgli yet or not? Like I couldn't fucking right, you just figure it, it out. Logical. And they were like, this is a different Baloo. And I was like, but it's not. It's not. It's Baloo. Yeah. And anyway, what do you think Roger Kipling would think of that? I think he'd love it. Yeah, he'd be like, sounds great. Yeah. He'd Do I ask, get residuals? He'd ask for points, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
The best robot chicken sketch they've ever done is they did a born identity parody where Baloo is uh in the jungle for jungle book and uh-huh. starts having flashbacks to the suppressed memory of Hillsman. Yeah. It's That's funny. funny. Have you ever seen um Dennis Hopper reading that Rudyard Kipling poem on the Johnny Cash show? No. Google Dennis Hopper reading if. Uh-huh. The last ten seconds of it will just make your heart stop. It's Amazing. incredible. Um, so Life they, of Pi. Right. They offered the role to Baloo. He turned it down. Everyone contacted. So it. you guys saw this screening. You saw it with Tobey Maguire. You saw it with no visual effects, basically. Right. Uh, you walked out of there. What or what? Hadn't I, read I, the book. Knew very little about it. I'm watching it. The first forty minutes. I'm like, was I wrong in thinking this was about a kid in a boat? Sure. Because they go, as you said, they go really deep into setting up his character yes, yes. with a lot of like different like. Not uh, dead ends, but just like different areas of just sort of fleshing this kid out and his yeah. family and his lineage. I mean, like when it starts with that much stuff with the uncle, I was yeah. like, did I read the wrong synopsis but of this thing? It's very novelistic, right? Where he's yeah. just like, let me explain. Like, this is going to take a while. It's, it's also fine. a lot more stylized than any movie he's made up until this point. Yeah, because you've got the, the the guy with the tapered weird right. body. and the, like right. All, all the Right, where you're like, whoa, that's sort of a crazy visual joke it from the director of Brokeback Mountain. Is aesthetically weird kind of this midpoint between Jean-Pierre Genet and M. Night Shyamalan. Like, it, it does feel it elements it's, of both those It's guys. also kind of Wes Anderson-y at, yeah. at points. Oh, like the, in oh, that the opening the stuff yeah. is very, very art direct, yeah. is very colorful, the narration, all of that. And I'm watching, I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? I have right. no idea what it is. Even, like, the two times he's made more fantastical movies at this point in his career, Hulk is pretty naturalistic. Crouching uh, Tiger sure. is pretty naturalistic, you know? Yeah, no, you're right. You're, I know you're, Like, he's yeah. working fantastical things into naturalistic environments. And then this is, like, starting out with, like, ostensibly non-fantastical things being presented in a very quirky, fantastical way. But that's why I love that early scene when he tries to see the tiger. Yes. I think it works. Mm-hmm. Because you might watch that scene and be like, what is this, kid, a moron? Like, oh, you sure. think he can just hang out with a tiger? But, like, because everything's been so, like light and fairy tale it, in a lot of ways. It kills the whimsy pretty fast in like a way that presents interesting contrast. Yeah, and like, and you've had this scene where he does pie on all the right. chalkboards, which also seems sort of like vaguely supernatural, like, you know, like these things that are Right, uh, I remember uh, this so was heightened. the discussion that I remember him asking the audience in the test screening was, like, were you picking up on the fact that all that stuff in the beginning was lies? Yeah. That none of that happened. Like, that's supposed to be the tell that he's an unreliable narrator. Right, right. that, that it, it's, it's all too so ludicrous over-cranked. to understand. Yes. Right, yes. yes. Uh, even just in the way it's it's visualized and everything. And I look at like these opening like sections and even like the the background actors feel much bigger than any Angley movie. You know, they're all in this very heightened state. There's the shot of like the two women riding by on the bicycle and they're just like too joyous for a guy who's so into like very specific body language. It's like the note like, is just like, be happy. You're in a big movie. You, know? you feel like taking Woodstock is more naturalistic performance-wise in this? I do. Okay, I do. I don't think it's entirely successful performance-wise. I mean, you're obviously the best performance in taking Woodstock. Thank you so much. And I think we said that extensively on the episode. Do you know what scene I'm in? Uh, I don't think so. The big crazy track. I'm at the right? very end of the track. Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that was terrifying. That's yeah. fun, though. Oh, oh my God. God. Oh, right. that must have been terrifying because it's like you everything has to go perfectly up. Yeah. up until you and you're the one who can blow the tape. Yes, and the secret of taking Woodstock is that every single person, no matter what they're dressed as, was a part of a c- casting call for hippies. Yeah. So those nuns are just like ladies from New Paltz who are super stoned and are blowing it every single time. Yeah. These kids showed up with long hair and they were like, well, we need some Hasids. And they... They shaved their heads, except for the payas. That's crazy. Yeah. 
Um, that's really funny. Uh, um, no, I think I think taking Woodstock is is all over the place. Like there's there is. I mean, this is one of the issues of the movie is that there isn't a clear sort of uh, a tone to the performances, which usually he's good at getting his entire cast on the same page. Super good. Some people are super big in it. Some people are super small in it. Um, this is the first time I'm seeing him make a movie where like everyone's at a heightened level. You know, where it's clearly working in like a fantasy, non-literal mm-hmm. realm. Sure. Uh, but I, at this point, have no idea what the fuck the movie right. is. Right, so we learn about Pi, Piscine, Molitor, Motel, and his relationship with God and his family. Right, and, and then they spotlight, right, he, he practices three religions. His relationship with God is very non-literal. It's right. trying to get closer to this man rather than practicing any sort of doctrine or any sort of right. uh, dogma or anything like that. And this is a lot of the book. Like yes. the movie pairs it down. It's kind it of, the book is sort of like a third, a third, a third. All of given sure. equal page yeah, it's count, been a while right? since I read it, but yeah. yeah. Um, and then it introduces this character that they created that's not in the book, who's his love interest, the dancer he recognizes. And yeah. they like circle her, underline it, put it in bold, like then I met her. Right. Where it feels like, okay, so this is clearly going to be the main thrust of the movie now. Not at all. Not at all. Forget it. He's, also, Taboo plays his mother. She's this like extraordinarily famous actress. Yeah, she so, fucking rules. Like uh, that's, I feel like for some audiences is just, you, you, that's the actress where you're like, oh my God, like. She's, she's playing right. this like his mom like yeah. she's just in the movie yeah right. anyway carry on sorry um but he said he put her in there because he wanted a sense of what he was losing when he got the boat uh yes whereas yeah. everything right, in the right, book right, is right, sort of this yes. is the grounding before he gets on the boat and then his life hits this new chapter he wanted a sense of something that was like incomplete right you know that he lost behind it takes until minute 40 for him to the storm to start i can I just get into like what Please. I think about the open? I think the the really as I've gone through it uh, this this morning, the way this film like teaches you how to watch it, yes, is astoundingly good. Yeah, you know, and I think that it, the deployment of the different spectacle uh-huh. is like it it stays constantly surprising you and and um like I, I think maybe just getting so it's like the opening it's like that sloth shot. Right, yeah, I love meeting. the fucking opening. The opening credits with the, my favorite part of the movie. with the animals is is wonderful. It's so important. That opening yeah. credit sequence is like a like a video game orientation UX kind of like you're like, sure. are you all set? Are you ready to go? And right. like, and I think it's like the, your load screen. Yeah, the film takes you through a series of airlocks basically mm-hmm. to get to the point where you are really paying attention. I remember the opening uh, five minutes of Avatar were rocky. Yes, you know what I mean, like really funky, cutting from like. The, the canopy jungle yeah. to like the eyes with the parallax near the and then the exterior. Oh. It's like a mess. And if you watch the extended version where there's like 20 minutes of stuff on earth before that, it's bad. Like it's actively bad. It's clear that he wrote this whole opening that didn't fucking work. And that's this Rocky, like, you know what? Let's just like as inelegantly as possible, get through this shit fast. Mm. Whereas this movie's really like setting you into a mindset. And I just think that the way that the different like hammers fall and sure. as they're introducing you to different things about this movie, like up into the, like the uncle is great. Yeah. When he shows up with that weird body, he's great. But then yeah. that, this, I was just going through the things that happen in this, uh, these series of shots where then he, it's like, there's this crazy Dutch shot of these people on this, uh, on this balcony. Uh-huh. And but then. But even all of this stuff looks like the fantasy sequence in Sweeney Todd. Right, right, right. And, and then the somebody just flies. Why aren't they not just flying? Yeah. You know, like uh, through the foreground, and then he happy feeds in in the background like that. That's the other thing. He's doing the crazy transitions in this movie. Yeah. He's doing some of the speed racer stuff where you're literally like collaging the images. Weird overlapping. On top of each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just a shot of a man flying. Yeah. I love and then, that shot. Check this out. She goes above him. How high is she supposed to be? Like, what? Yeah. And but anytime I, this, yeah. he 
does the this is sky the guy in the pool with the right. sky above him the, the reflection of the sky on the water i like lose it in this movie but this is a so, huge yeah. moment for the for the audience like yes. the audience like if you've ever seen like a shorts program uh-huh. every film starts and the audience is like uh, until like, how right. much are these people going to hurt me and then there's like the most it's usually like a first laugh yeah or something where you go like okay that was a that was a directing choice of quality enough that i will relax and let these people take me i think choice yeah. is the key word when you see someone who clearly is like doing something specific and yeah. it's like i can trust them because they know what they're doing they haven't lost control of this thing whether or not i like it i remember being actively against the first 40 minutes when i first saw it. okay i think a lot of that had to do with me having no you're just sense being of what like, this where's movie the boat was. where's the boat why what are we doing with this and and the thing you're saying where and it's I'm also like, like why am i meeting his love interest when she's not going to return like well, and all i just remember was the one sentence synopsis every time a director i like signed on to this movie that like it's a kid in a boat with a tiger and i'm right. going like is my memory faulty is that not what this movie's about so i'm confused by it and i'm also just thrown off without having seen any sort of promotional material any clips or anything by just this movie being so aesthetically and tonally different than any Ang Lee film I've ever seen. I later come to realize, I saw it in theaters in 3D when it was released, watched again too last night. Of course, what you're saying is he's teaching you how to watch the movie. He's, that's, he's that's setting good, you into a, a world. Call. Yeah. He's inviting you into like the, the home. <laughs> and I'd also say that the, 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 the way this movie is described is a lie. It's not a movie about a kid on a right. boat with a, with a tiger. No. That doesn't, yes. that like it's, and they know that and they're trying to make it everything but that basically. Right. There's two, there's more than one boat. Yes. The boat keeps changing. Yeah. There's not just a tiger. There's a monkey and a zebra and a hyena. Right. You know, uh, there's like, it, until you finally get to the shot where yeah. it's like, okay, now I'm looking at a boy and a tiger on a boat and they're like squaring off and then it just stays in that shot. And you're like, okay, now, now we're at like the boxing match. Basically. Right. And now it's like, at that point, it's like an hour into the movie. Absolutely. You know, in a movie where I always think of this movie as being like 230 plus and it's actually a tight two hours. It's a little over two hours. It's like two, two, two hours, seven minutes. Okay. It moves though. Everything yeah. keeps changing. I mean, this is also a thing of like, uh, I worked on a movie that would, had a lot of scenes of like uh, uh, spaceships, exterior shots of uh-huh. spaceships going throughout space. And it was like- Star Wars? Yes, yeah, Star Wars. <laughs> um, Episode four, New Hope. I do yes, want to- yeah. Familiar, familiar with it, yes. And, 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 the, and the thing was like, if we do this literally, every single shot will look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. But we need to make a progression. So like, this movie, if you did it literally, could be incredibly visually monotonous. But like- yes. right. The ocean is a million different colors. There's right. a million different, like, it's almost like he's going through train stations. Yeah. You're like, now I'm in this scene, now I'm in that scene. It just, it, the, the, the boat keeps changing. His body yeah. keeps changing. Yes. Um, and also, yeah. like, each, I mean, because once it gets to the boat, I mean, Annalise's whole pitch was, like, it has to become, like, an adventure film at that point. The survival has to be, I need to put a little more emphasis on the series of sort of challenges and yeah. tests that this guy goes through rather than just the internal spiritual journey. Right, but I feel like he's not interested in making like In the Heart of the Sea or one of, one of those no. movies that's about just like the human body enduring its right. greatest test and or, it's so Or even the visceral. shallows. But it also, right. it, yeah, is, yeah. it is process-based. It's very much about this kid learning, which I love any process movie. Mm-hmm. You know in Apollo 13 when they have to make Great the movie. filter out of just the of stuff. Of course, that, you gotta yeah. put the square peg in the round the hole. The best sequence, the best right? Shit. Well, the yeah. craziest thing about that is that it actually happened and that's the craziest thing in the fucking world <laughs> that NASA had to be like, why does that tank not, you have a, that and this, why are they not yeah. compatible? And it's like, well, all right, well, they have this shit. We have to make a box that it goes through. Like, it's still, I love it so Apollo much. Apollo 13, a masterful screenplay written by? Uh, Kiva Goldsmith? John Sales. <laughs> John Sales wrote Apollo 13? Absolutely. How he did I fought not know like that? hell for the credit and didn't get it. I believe like, he did that, not get that it. Is, oh, crazy. That is okay, so that's why I didn't know that. 100% yeah. a movie written by John Yeah, because it, it's credit to Broyles Jr., who's like one of those guys sure. who's got a lot of credits. And then Al Reiner, who only wrote Apollo 13 and direct and wrote For All Mankind, the space 
uh, documentary. Yeah. Uh, so like, you know, whatever. John Sells had that run from like 90 to like early 2000 where he was just like quietly one of the best studio like script doctor punch up guys. Right. And then he makes he writes the notorious Jurassic Park 4 script. Right. Which sounds fucking amazing. And I still wish was the ideas of which are still being parceled out. That's what's crazy is they've used them in all the other ones. I know. But when you read that script, you're like, it's like and you like read those interviews with Spielberg where he's like, and now we know what the movie looks like we've got the story and you're like you thought that was definitely the story i love it so much human I just raptor hybrids with you, guns if, if you haven't gotten to that point where you feel comfortable doing that then why even make jurassic sequel <laughs> that's true Do you know what i'm saying like just fucking go for it his quick in the dead script rules really that's a good movie you ever seen it i we gotta do raimi i know saddest, saddest music in the world and quick in the dead are the only films that have bracket structures that okay. i know of Oh, like music in the world's a good weird. Like your bracket structure, it's very satisfying. Um, yeah, I just love guys like that who like didn't even view it as like a one for me, one for them thing. Because like John Sayles also came out of Corman. That's the thing. Like he loves just being like writing assignment, fix this, make it better. I agree, but read the book by Roger Corman: How I Made a Hundred Films and Never Lost a Dime. It's the best book ever. Hey, Ben. David. I heard you finally uh, got yourself a mattress. Yes. I got a Casper mattress because I found an apartment. <laughs> I have a home. You have four walls and a roof now. Yes. And in, in that space goes a Casper mattress. Indeed. Uh, how is it going for you? Oh, my God. It's really great. Um, they made the whole process so easy because, again, like moving is so a nightmare. Right. And Casper, you can just buy online yeah. at your convenience, and it just gets shipped. Yeah, it's, in, your, the, it's in a box. Yeah, what the? And there's like, it's not like a door size. I'm trying box. to think of how to describe Smaller. it. You know what? There's that. Oh, in the corner of the studio, the, the thing that keeps mi- the water the cold. Fridge. Yeah, <gasps> it's about the size of a mini fridge. It's about fridge. the size of a mini fridge. That's right, because Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves. They provide support for all kinds of bodies. How's your body? Does it feel supported? Does it feel comforted? It does. Well, you spend one third of your life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. This is true. Um, so the original Casper mattress, it combines multiple supportive memory foams. It's got a quality sleep surface with just the right amount of sink and bounce, baby. And it's got a breathable design, so you can sleep cool throughout the night. Now, Casper offers two different kinds of mattresses. Apart yeah. from the, yeah, they got the original, but then they right. got the Wave. Oh, of course. And the Essential. I got the Essential. Okay. Uh, That's got like a streamlined design at a price that won't keep you up at night, right? Exactly. Yeah. The Wave is the one with the premium support system, patent pending, that mirrors the shape of your body. So there's a lot of options. They're all designed and developed and assembled in the U.S. And the affordable prices, it's because Casper cuts out the middleman and just sells it directly to you. It's free shipping and returns are also free in the U.S. and Canada. And if you're not completely satisfied, you can just put it back in his mini fridge box. Get it the heck out of there. We are going to offer our listeners a great deal if you're interested in getting yourself a Casper mattress. I've got one. Ben's oh, got one. Yes. We, we love our Casper mattresses. They're mattresses. They are comfortable. You sleep on them. It's a great experience. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. So you can get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash check and using promo code CHECK at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Again, if you want to get $50 towards select mattresses, 
you can go to casper.com slash check and use promo code check at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. And uh, yeah, I mean, get yourself a good night's sleep like Ben finally can do after weeks of homelessness. <sighs> Thank God. Oh, sorry about that, Ray. This is actually happening. It happened. It happened, and I know you're processing it now, and it's tough, but we have to keep talking about the movie. We have to survive. We have to go on. So minute minute 35, the family dinner, the father announces the intention to move and sell the zoo. Adil Hussein plays the dad. Yes. Sort of a bad zoo boy, if you will. No, I think he's a pretty good zoo boy. Okay. I think he's a pretty good zoo man. I don't know, man. He's locking up the zoo and putting it uh, in a boat. He does lock the gates. That is true. He locks the gates after he sells it. Yeah. Um... And uh, he tranquilizes the banana. Yes, uh, which I I love that too. I love just watching him like cut the banana and put the things inside. Yeah, and and just how loving the narration is about his dad, like, yeah. and how he's realizing his dad is totally a fish out of water mm-hmm. as well. He's a businessman, doesn't really know how to deal with these animals. Yeah, like this and how they're all, you know, like that 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 teenage thing where you're like, oh, I'm not the only important person in the world. You know, that sort of like growing realization. Right. My parents are flawed people with like their own problems. Yeah. But he's on the ship for like one day. Yeah. Where the only real dramatic thing that happens is a, a fist fight with Gerard Depardieu as, you okay. know. Here's one thing I wanted to say. Yeah. This movie has Irfan Khan in it. Yes. Who is like, now older, but mm-hmm. certainly at you know at a moment in his career was like a sex symbol in his country. Sure. And Gerard Depardieu, now aging, mm-hmm. but was a sex symbol in his yes. country uh, utterly, right? Yeah, right? And Irfan Khan looks pretty great. Like yeah. the hair is a little silly. You know, he's got the sort of big hair in this sure. movie, but he looks pretty great. Yeah. And Gerard Depardieu looks like, I don't know. Like, how he looks like the just... lump monster from Wonder Shows. And... <laughs> he looks like fucking Pizza the Hut. He like... looks like Muzzy. I mean, I know we make a lot of Muzzy references on this show, but he looks like Muzzy. <laughs> he looks like an old crone in like a Hans Christian Anderson movie. I mean, fairy tale. What's crazy is I remember seeing this, whatever it was, like seven years ago, right? Sure. And being yeah. like, Jesus Christ, Gerard Depardieu does not look good. Uh-huh. And then watching it now, having seen like You're Let like, the oh, Sunshine In, I'm like, Gerard was looking pretty good. Right, because in Let the Sunshine In, you'd literally think he's like furniture for a while because he's so <laughs> massive. You're like, is that a credenza she's talking to? There, there's a moment when they first cut to a close-up of Gerard Depardieu at the very end of Let the Sunshine In, where I like went a like, rock monster. I went, wait a second, is this movie in 3D? <laughs> Because it felt like his nose was coming out of the screen. I don't mean to mock Sarah Dipperju's, uh, you know, uh, middle age. He's pre- he's old. He's like yeah. seven years old. Yeah, you know, older. Yes, gait. Sure, it's the mileage <laughs> but, uh, though. Yeah, but it's crazy. I, look, I don't mean to mock Gerard Depardieu, but let's remember he peed on the carpet in the middle of a plane because he drank too much white wine. He did. He also keeps in protest. Yeah, and he also keeps like moving to increasingly like oppressive com- countries because he likes doesn't like paying taxes. Right? Yeah. Isn't that a thing of his? Yeah, yeah. but he keeps on making Asterix movies. <laughs> Of course. Well, he was. Bo- That's the thing. I think he buffed up to play Obelix, and yes. then he just stayed there. Yes. And he now he is Obelix. Yeah. But I just like that. Like Asterix has changed like four times. I think four or yeah, five they, different actors. Yeah, they're always like played. cycling in a new Asterix, and Depardieu right. is he is ready. Right. You know what I love about Asterix? He gets younger. Obelix stays the same age. <laughs> Jesus. Let's see. What's the last time? That's a reference Obelix? to the very successful French live-action Asterix film adaptation series. He hasn't made one since 2012, where they saved Britannia. Okay. Uh, yes. 
there you go. Interesting. Obelix. Uh, so Depardieu comes in. He looks like shit, and he's looking for a fight. This uh-huh. guy's just a fucking ass. Yeah, he looks like a pile of mashed potatoes, but he's serving rice. Right. Uh, pouring gravy on top of it. Uh-huh. Uh, they ask for no gravy because the wife's vegetarian. And no sausage. And he takes umbrage at this. And right. there's the, the cow fight. the veal came from is, is vegetarian. Right, the, right. You know, yeah, that yeah, and that. All that. Gets into a fight. A, a very sort of centered sailor comes, breaks it up, sits down next to them, explains to them like. Yeah, and I don't think the scene works without that lovely scene with the when the bits where I like really key into the movie is those 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 uh, silver plates in their dinner. Oh yeah, you know what yeah. I mean. Like that's one of those things where you're looking at it and I'm like, I don't know what that is exactly, yeah. but I know that is correct. Sure, and sure. it's incredibly tactile. Someone's done the research. Yeah, yes. and like just seeing how lovely their life is, you really do feel bad for this family now that they're being like put through this terrible experience even before the shipwreck yeah, yeah. Then, the, uh, then the shipwrecks once again I remember being very distracted by Depardieu the first time but mm. now I totally get it that you need someone to make that much of an That's impression that quickly you need that character he needs to be to in the back of your brain for the rest of the film. he's gonna be important right? even point. though you'll never see him again right yeah. now I remember in the cut we saw there was a scene where Pie potentially hallucinates Depardieu coming back onto the boat. Absolutely. Right? And cut out yes. of the film. Interesting. But he like wakes he up. He thought that foggy, would like muddy it too much. And you like, see a yeah. silhouette of like him coming back with a knife and then Richard No, no, Parker you're just thinking of the attacks. scenes with the orangutan. Who is Depardieu-esque? Even though he's not supposed he to correspond like yeah. to the orangutan. Did they double cast him in this one? <laughs> no, you need to I remember him. stop being mean to I've, Gerard. Yeah, I, I was watching this just... On and the he's way. also going to be our guest on next week's episode. Sorry, <laughs> what were you saying? On the way over here, I had forgotten. Into, like, I watched the last scene, like in the cab <laughs> on the way over here, and it's like it's a murder confession. Yes, and and I think that you remembering how unpleasant this guy is mm-hmm. really makes you go like, okay, I, I get it. It's like, and you go like, there was a horror for him in murdering someone so evil and right. so well, disgusting. And also, like, I mean, the movie and the book makes this even clearer. Like, he won't. He he won't, doesn't want to kill anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the movie, you see that he's so sad when he has to kill some an animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, in the you know because he's a real strict aesthetic sort yes. of vegetarian. He sees God and everything yeah. as well. Because it's truly horrible. He saw his mother get killed by Gerard Depardieu and, and then had to kill Gerard Depardieu. Yes. that's yeah. ugly stuff. He saw a man get eaten. Yeah, eaten, eaten. Uh, um, yeah. Do, do you know the craziest thing I I found about this movie uh, on Wikipedia? Or I found this through going to the Wikipedia entry for the book. Sure. Is the reason he named the tiger Richard Parker is that there were like three different instances of a man named Richard Parker on a lifeboat involving cannibalism. Jesus. And one's an Edgar Allan Poe story, and then two of them are like real stories. Right. People um, just decided to pay homage to Edgar Allan Poe. All in the 1800s. Yeah, but the, all three guys were named Richard Parker. No, I, I'm joking. That, that's crazy. Uh, and he was just like, that has to mean something. If guys named Richard Parker keep on ending up on lifeboats, either being victims right. or adjacent to cannibalism. A cabin boy? Yes. Uh, in a famous legal case in 1884. Uh, Jesus Christ. And then Isn't the third Richard Parker weird? drowned, so his dead body was cannibalized. Yes. Very neat. Very nice. No problem there. No. Great, great stuff. And then stuff. the fourth Richard Parker is played by Campbell Scott in The Amazing Spider-Man 2, in which he turns out to be a secret agent. I forgot that his name's Richard Parker. Richard Parker. Um, it, it is kind of a masterstroke of the book and the movie, but I think especially the movie where you're watching the tiger, the fact that he has a full proper gentleman's name, right. like a first and last name helps you, like, uh, without anthropomorphizing him, it helps you really invest in him as, like, a real creature. Yeah. You know, because if he was named, like, Claw or something, you'd be like, that's a fucking tiger. 
I mean, tiger, Richard Parker, like, how do you do? Tigers are nice just, to see you, sir. there's some word for them. Let me look it up that uh, people in environmentalism uh, use for uh, animals like tigers and elephants, a charismatic megafauna, sure. where it's like, oh. these things are so insane and iconic to people that yeah. you kind of can't believe that it's real. And that's why you center your environmental campaigns on a tiger or, you know, we have to save the elephant. Yes. Like, you know, because people are like, if I saw a tiger and I've seen tigers in like the zoo or whatever. Yeah, humble brag. <laughs> yes, I, I've been to the zoo. <laughs> humble brag. <laughs> you know, you are kind of like, oh, right. This is like a functioning creature. Yes. And like, you're also looking at, you're like, this is designed to destroy and murder something fast. Well, and they have this weird intelligence in their eyes that is yes, misplaced. Yes. Where you're just like, this is a thing that, that thing, like gets me. And it's and, like, no, this is a thing that just wants to eat shit. He's just fucking hangry. So get ready to say humble rag. I was just in Alaska Whoa. on vacation. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. I okay, can do cool. that. You're allowed. Uh, you work and, very hard. And when he said that, when the dad says that line about you're just seeing, I was thinking about uh, the, all the animals I saw in Alaska where right, you're like, oh, there's so much going on here. And yeah. it's like, well, no. I'm reflecting myself a little bit in Alaska. Did you go to Alaska by yourself? No, I went with my girlfriend. Humble Rag. <laughs> and Richard Lawson. Double Humble <laughs> uh, Not for all of it, but for a bit of yeah. it. Um, and I saw like a bald eagle and you know, that, that, that's another one where you see that and you're like, oh, all of this, this creature is all pointy ends. Like it's all sharp. Right. He's only, he lives to destroy things. But certain like animals like that, that just project a certain amount of sophistication. Otters it's, it's like that were the big ones. moment at the end of Fantastic Mr. Fox where he like sees the wolf in the distance right. and he's yeah, like, yeah. I get you. Yeah, you know? Right. right. <laughs> where you like see an eagle and you're like, dude, I understand. And the eagle's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I want, I want a rat. Right. The where can like, I eat just a rat? Like, the eagle's yeah. like, I can see like, Two miles that way, right. and there's a rat, and I yeah. want to eat it. Like, right, and that, you just look at the eagle, and you're like, "Man, this country. How do we go so far right, off yeah, track?" You're like, right? America is a flawed but fascinating <laughs> experiment yeah. in democracy. <laughs> and you see otters. I see otters. Yeah, well, so many otters, and they 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 lay on their backs in the water. And you then see they, so many otters in Alaska. Oh, okay, not all the time. Yeah, and they they put little dude. You live in Brooklyn. They catch crabs and they put them on their tummy, and then they just kind of like eat them. Uh, and I'm like, yeah. I eat crab <laughs> on my tummy. <laughs> I was like, uh, I am not a dog person. Interesting. Okay. okay. But I've had, you know, like, any of you had like a really important relationship with any cats mm. in your life? Uh, my, my dresser kittens. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a dog person. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not a cat person historically. I if don't you, like them. I'm you, a cat person. If you have anything, yeah. pig, this film will play on, like, and there's certain moments, like, yes. especially when he's, when he's a, thinking of whether to kill him with a hatchet. Uh huh. I swear to God, they make the water pull back his face in the exact same way when you're petting your cat's face. Yeah. That's what their mouth does. There's like a lot of stuff I think where they're like, if if you have that in you, they really play on your heartstrings. I also stuff. think like I've never owned a pet. Yeah. But my father has two dogs that he calls the boys. Oh, um, no. <laughs> that's by the way how he got himself into financial trouble. Each of them cost $2.5 million. <laughs> And they only eat quail eggs. Um, but he calls these dogs the boys. And I like will dog sit when my whole family goes away because my family goes on vacations without me. All the time. Uh, by my choice. And um, when I'm with the dogs, I find myself like talking to them a lot and, and forming these very odd like intellectual relationships with how I think they're processing things. In the same way I did when I found these like cats at two o'clock in the morning and I'm right. like having conversations with them. Right. And I think this movie gets at that kind of thing, especially if you don't like have a natural casual relationship with an animal of just like if you're with an animal isolated for that long or a period of time that is high stress, 
you just start to be like, I need to feel like I'm relating to something else, that I'm not just here by myself. And that's so much of what sustains uh, Pi, right? Is that yes. like that's what he says about Richard Parker? Right. Like I felt like there was someone else with me that I had to keep an eye on and almost take care of. And and that he says that kind of and I saves had to be alert, him. And right? It saves him. right. Yeah. It it like gives him something to live for and a challenge every day to work on. Uh, my favorite thing. Uh, which Ray, you alerted me to, is that because uh, they didn't want to make his like survival tactics look too professional because he's not a kid who's like equipped for the circumstance. Do you know about this, David? No. Uh, Ang Lee asked his son, like, here are a bunch of oars and like a life vest. What would you make out of this? Okay. And his son, who's like not a survival expert, sure. made the thing that the kid made and wow. then he like gave it to the art department and was like, replicate this. Wow. Like a lot of the tactics he uses are things that he asked his son who was like, not an outdoorsman. Right. But he was just kind of like, well. Yeah, you got 10 minutes. Here you go. I guess this is your base and then the right. oars kind of. Rather like than have someone out. production design. Yeah, right, right, you know? And right, I think right, that's right. some of the best, coolest stuff is, oh, yeah. is, is the different rafts and the progression. The, the triangle thing is amazing. It, yeah. it was a collaboration because uh-huh. he basically, they just made him go in the pool and just tie these things together. And he said he was very bad at tying huh. knots. Yeah. Sure. And all that stuff. But then As what they I did be. for the punch up on, on all that design was they got their, their shipwreck survival consultant. Uh-huh. Remember this guy's name? It was in all the books or no. all the stuff. I'll find his name in a second. But I, basically, I know there was a guy about, yeah. who survived okay. for two months on the open sea who was on set every day and like a huge part of the pre-production. Jesus Christ. And was just like, seems like a pretty rangy guy. You know, like all, yeah. there's like a subtext in, 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 in the book of like, that he needs to like calm down a couple, like because yeah. he's very, yeah. he's maybe, maybe still a little. Out maybe there. understandably, you never get over something like that. It changes <laughs> you permanently. But Certainly, especially when you're recreating it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's the most Hollywood thing in this movie is that like Pi is like pretty well balanced. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And he like kind of figured it out. But I mean, I think that play that that that's part of the uh uh what's the fuck Jesus uh, narrator unreliable narrator thing. Yes, where like. For one, you sort of start to realize like, oh, I can't really trust the paint picture he's painting for me, but I understand why he's mm-hmm. doing it. And then two, it's like he gets dumped on the beach at the end of the movie. And then at the end of this, at the end of the movie, you see his family come home. Yes. And you're like, so he has figured it out. But you're also like, but there is like 30 years here. Yeah. That are unspoken. And like, who knows like how you feel that. Sure. Guy. Also, right. my big takeaway from the movie is that he makes this story because that's the only way he to can like process this thing and be yeah. sane and move on. It's too painful. Yes. Uh, that was another thing I remembered from the cut we saw is you never saw the family. It cut before they walked in the door for when him just referencing. Oh, interesting. Them. Sure. And everyone was like, I kind of want to see the wife because we kept on wondering if he ended up marrying the lady from India. Yeah. When you don't see her, you wonder if that's like the super pat kind of like full circle thing that they yeah, were but I like aiming that for. It's not. Oh, I yeah. do too. But if you don't see her, you wonder if that's what they were trying to set up. Right. I, I just circle back. I think that the design of that thing when they got that guy to do punch up was genius about it. Is mm-hmm. that that all that design is a collaboration between someone who is pie at the beginning of the journey sure. and pie at the end. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. Which is really cool. Because I like when he sort of starts putting like slats on it too. He's yeah. got like some flooring. Neither of which know? are production designers. Yeah. So cool. Right, right. That's what's really cool about it. Can and we this- talk about that color of the inside of the boat though? Oh, sure. Okay. I'd pay yeah. money just to see that color. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think? Talk to me. It's just wonder. I mean, it's yeah. one- I mean, just the fact that you get to s- spend so much of the film looking at that color is just, yeah. is just a joy. I will say no? my favorite stuff in this movie is when he gets like very surreal with the colors of the sky. Yeah, and that's the water. What I think of the sky, especially yeah. obviously the whale scene. There's that section where it's sort of like magic hour sundown and, and it's like, like 
all orange. You like that red sort oh, of yeah. like, yeah. It could be yeah. so many different yeah. things, and that one is, it, it looks so good against the blue, and you it know, just yeah. is like. That shot is obviously kind of extraordinary. Why'd right. they crop it like that? I don't know. That's oh, crazy. Google image. There's, there's, got, there's no, the one that's interrupted by the can. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, you're yeah. watching. Yeah. Like, I just love uh, that shit. Um, I will say, like, we were talking about uh, the ways in which the effects have and haven't held up. And okay, like, I on. think Richard Parker's pretty impeccable. Pretty good. I think some it, of the, yeah, basically 90%. Yeah. And performance wise, it's like incredible. Yes. You just yeah. totally fucking buy it and you buy into it as a character with emotions and all of that. I think some of the sort of environmental stuff, when it's not that heightened and stylized, feels very like plasticky to me. When they're going from just like, this is just the sky and the water. It feels a little like too cartoony for me. I prefer when they push it into that more abstract zone, you know? Okay. And I think it also, like, works with the journey he's on more when it just starts to feel like he's going through, like, you know. Psychological space. Yeah, yeah. The toughest stuff they've got is the tiger being wet anyway. That's that's the only thing I'm thinking of. Yeah. That looks so funky. Hard. It just it doesn't look funky. It looks fine. I think one of the most audacious things is that first real close up of the tiger that they do. That I think is CG. Or I'm not yeah, sure. I think uh-huh. it is. Yeah. I know what you're like, talking about. They cut from a quivering like Sphinxmeyer piece of meat. Yeah. Like in 3D, right up next to you. And so this is real meat. And then right. they show you their CG close up of the tiger and go like, look, we. I will put my art next to that on the wall. And that I think the it holds up. Big it's thing he said brave. was like he went to Rhythm and Hughes, the visual effects company, and said like, I'm going to put real animals in this movie. Right. And they need to work seamlessly side by side with CGI animals. Right. Which is like a big ask. I don't like even know if it's an ask as much as boxing, it's a man. boxing them in. Yes. You know what I mean? Right. This like, is really? what you're going to have to do. Yeah. Right. This is the standard I'm holding you Because I like, I've, I've definitely, I've, I've directed, you know, projects that were, the effects were done by MPC that did mm-hmm. all like the environments on this. And like, I, I definitely have worked with a lot of different animation studios and effects studios. And there is like. There's always this moment where you're like, I need you to do this extra 15%. And they're yeah. like, we're done working. It's impossible. And I, yeah. I think that one of the master strokes was that he boxed them in. Yeah. Like they didn't have an out. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we kind of brushed over the initial, like, uh, hyena orangutan. Did we just skip the shipwreck? Oh, yeah. Because the, the fucking shipwreck's incredible. That's a, yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the shipwreck that's, more. Okay. That's when I, like, started going, like, okay, I see what he's doing here like the here's shipwreck's a great clear great. like turning point in the movie okay he's like upending everything yes the, the dynamic ups and downs of that sequence if you go through and do like the robert mckee like for yeah. every good thing then it has to be followed by a bad thing followed by a good thing followed by a bad it's like the like him seeing that red light and being like okay i'm, I'm good and then looking at the guys and when the guys get washed overboard mm-hmm. like that's what it looks like in real life when bad stuff happens yeah you know that little flashlight going out in the ocean is so scary and then the framing, I was going through it like frame by frame. When he runs down the stairs, you don't see that the bottom floor is flooded until you hear him scream like an animal. Mm-hmm. And then he jumps, and when he lands in the water, then you realize you're underwater, and that's when the zebra shows up. That's, and I think that zebra the is the whole movie. Yeah. You yeah, know? Right. That's the, like, opening the doors to the Wizard of Oz. That's the right. moment where, and I love that, if you go back and listen to that scream, it's so painful to listen to. And it's at the exact moment that he kind of, like, maxes out all his levels on just terror and trauma that the magic starts. Well, right. yeah, and the, the zebra thing is, like, so kind of absurd as an image in the middle of a sequence that is, like, so upsetting viscerally. Yeah. You know? Um, but he... No, I think it's just, like, really, really well-done shipwreck stuff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I like the shot of the boat going in the water the best. I think they... they I, 
I might just be burning my brain because it was in the trailer. Like they, sure. I think they just know how visceral that feels. The shot of it like slamming. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of something else from the shipwreck. I mean, I like that shot of the where he's hovering. Yeah. I mean yeah. that. Yeah. That I like amazing. the idea that it goes into the Mariana Trench and James Cameron could do a follow-up movie <laughs> about what's going on down there. Pies of the Deep. Yeah, the shipwreck, you know. Of, well, I don't know what the boat's called. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's fighting to get on. I mean, he he wants... It's called the Sim Sim. Yeah, it's... A, hey, it's the Sim Sim. Is it? It's the Sim Sim, baby. All right. David Sim Sim. David L. Sim Sim. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, he doesn't want to get on the lifeboat because he wants to save his family. They throw him in. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. With Depardieu, the sailor, right. And then the animals sort of get thrown into it. I mean, it's just like chaos. And then he wakes up in this boat situation with this collection of animals. We're like, uh, this happens very quickly. Is it this fast in the book? Pretty much. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, I was just curious if in the book there's more stuff of him with like all the animals. Oh, I guess so. But I think the degradation sure. happens sort of one by right, where it's like, and the same idea that like he thinks Richard Parker is gone because he saw Richard Parker in the water. Right. And then there's that moment and it's good in the movie when Richard Parker suddenly like leaps out. Yeah, he's been hiding under the, the hyena, tarp the whole time. Drags it under the tarp. Right. Which is pretty much like a, like, oh. a great train robbery, like direct to camera 3D shot of like the tiger leaping at you. Can I make a Black great. Panther comparison too? Please. Okay. I'd sure. say that this whole section where you're like, the problem is the hyena. Uh-huh is like that waterfall fight in Black Panther where he has to defend like the crown against his against calendar. Against M'Baku. Yeah, and right. it's like, Jesus Christ. This he fucking barely, M'Baku guy. Barely, it's not, barely, couldn't barely, get worse than this. Exactly, yeah, and right. then you see like, it's like Michael B. Jordan shows yeah. up and you're like, oh, we are yeah. fucked. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I I love that first waterfall site fight scene in Black Panther so much because I, I mean, what I, my argument for why Black Panther is like a genuinely Ma- like it's a masterpiece it's I'm, a great I movie I really need to rewatch it is yeah. that at the end of the movie when uh, Denai Guerrero Guerrero mm-hmm. uh, like when he when uh, Kaluuya is like you would you would you know you know you know, attack she me makes to bow. defend the right. thing right. and she says without question you're like yeah because those are the rules of Wakanda like a country I have no no knowledge of that doesn't yeah. exist it's fantasy yeah and like you're so steeped in like all the tradition what of the movie means. yeah and then so two hours later you're just like yeah, yeah we yeah. gotta protect this fucking place are you works. kidding me don't you know that and like that bit when M'Baku's got him yeah and he looks like like he's gonna have to kill him when he's got M'Baku you know at the end of yeah. that fight and everyone's like, you know, you know, you you've done great, but you gotta tap out. Like this is, and you're like, yeah, come on, man, you you gotta you gotta protect the honor of your tribe, like that I didn't know existed five minutes ago. Basically, there's something like very exciting about watching a movie where people are that in love with their country without being zealots. Yes, where it's just like this country's important. It means a lot to them, right? And like <laughs> all, a lot of Marvel movies are good at that fast world building that yeah. you need to do, but Black Panther is just especially. It's good the only time it. they make you actually care about the place. Yeah, because like, like in the other ones, it's like okay, this is a cool place, right? Like Asgard, Asgard looks nice, right, whatever. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, you don't yeah. care about it. Not really. Yeah. No. I mean, whatever. Also, it's it's a people, not a place. Yeah. Well, I actually disagree. <laughs> I disagree too. Yeah. <laughs> Um, pretty cool place. It's like, a pretty cool place. Had like a force field and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, this whole survival chunk of the movie uh, is, it, it, you know, the film kind of changes on you in terms yeah. of now removing uh, Irfan Khan for a long time. Yes, exactly. You're alone on the boat with these animals, quickly animal. You right. know, the, the, the animals do kill each other pretty fast. Right. Or the hyena kills the other animal. Right. And that's him trying to figure out how to cohabitate with. Richard Parker with his own narration and his diary. Quickly, yes. you know, and then it's just them. Like, 
You know, I guess it's like a solid 40 minutes then before they reach the carnivorous island. Then it's a 16-year-old, 17-year-old who had never acted before He's carrying good. an entire movie He's with a CGI tire. Right? Yeah. He's good. Yeah, and remember when they gave him so many big parts after this? After he made a, a giant international blockbuster? But I do think this is somewhat the curse of being the unknown actor where they're like... You're pie. Uh, yeah, right. Well, you were great in that. But that right. was clearly just like a fluke, right? Like... You know, Ang, Ang Lee, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, you can I just sort of dismiss people it. people dismissively give Ang Lee a lot of credit, which, like, clearly he did some it's incredible stuff in preparing with him. He was in Million Dollar Arm. That was his I big know. follow-up. I, he, he went to NYU undergrad uh-huh. as a filmmaker, and in the summer he goes uh, back to India and is in movies and gets paid a lot of money. Really? Absolutely. Do you know what, That's though? Cool. Do you know what, though? He's in the regular cast, like, you know, uh-huh. uh, main cast of God friended me on uh, ABC this fall. He's okay. CBS this fall. CBS. I mean, I like that. I like that. Yeah. God friended him. It didn't friend him, though. He friended yeah, uh, the, his the, friend. the, the mayor from God friend his friend. the mayor show. He's a really good actor. Yeah. Um, no, it's just a very impressive, like, it sounds like he's doing well. He's filled in life. He has a good career. But the thing that makes me angry is when dumb studio executives fall back on this thing of like, oh, we can't make a movie with like, an East Asian lead because none of them are bankable. And then when you have an East Asian led movie that makes fucking $500 million worldwide, they're like, well, but that's just the one thing he can do. They don't let people like this become leading men in blockbusters, you know? Number one song on Spotify right now is Yellow. (laughs) You know what I mean? Is that true? Yeah. Because of Crazy Rich Asians. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And that whole story of John M. Chu like writing to Chris Martin and being like, I know you turned us down. Yeah. But I assume like the studio just sent like a form request or whatever. He's like, but this song is so important and I loved it when I was younger. You know, did yeah. you read about this? Yes. Yeah. And then like immediately they were just like, hey, they gave you the thumbs up. I, he never replied to him, but he was just like, yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. No, obviously, you, clearly the song matters to you. Yeah. Uh, no, it's just like this couldn't be a more complicated production, you know? Sure. If you're you know, Suraj Sharma, you come out of this film, you're like, I understand everything about how to be a professional on a set. I've gone through the ringer. I've done every type of thing. I've worked with effects. I've worked practically. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the the rehearsals that they did? Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah. And I think this fits in. This? Well, I just, from my own personal experience being directed uh-huh. by Aang, and, and... And you did win an Oscar for that performance. <laughs> so you're able to speak I, from, right. I sucked. In, I suck in that. I'm the worst part Not of that true. movie. Not for true. sure. Oh, Ray? So <laughs> that, that's that's not true. You we, joke? we talked about that on the Taking Woods Saga. Trust me, we're on the record with many parts of that film that are worse than you. Yeah, but I'll say your guys' thesis that it's 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 uh, body language stuff. is yes. huge. That was the one note I got from him was about the way I was moving my hips. Interesting. You know, it was mm-hmm. like because uh, I was camera operating, and when I camera operate, I tend to kind of shift a little bit, give a little parallax. You know, keeps me in the moment. And he was like, "No, you just got to plant there your nodal point." And that, and it was like the only thing we really talked about was just I, my body stuff. And what do you, you want? Yes. You want to? No, I think he's very aware of things like that, where it's like that's just you being natural. It's you doing you your muscle memory of how you feel when you operate a camera. But he's so aware of what body language communicates and how it could like send the wrong message uh, in terms of Boy, the story. He's what about to the rehearsals so the, for this movie? He like worked with him for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, if not months, uh, just having him walk around a room. <laughs> And being like, we're going to work on when you were seven. Uh, like, wow. walk like when you were seven. Think about when you were seven. And just spending time, like, acting exercise into all of that. Uh-huh. So that for a movie where the kid has to go through all these different stages, 
of like his body decomposing, him gaining maturity, survival when he's broken, when he's stronger, all these kinds of things right. that he gave him this sense of the history of how his body has changed and how his mind has changed over time. So then it just sort of became like a thing that was like an automatic response. Hmm. If he could be like, in this moment, you're sort of humble to how you felt when you were seven. And he's like, I spent four hours doing the seven thing. Right. You know? Yeah. And I think it's a thing where, like, you know, when actors talk about, like, oh, I wrote, like, a character biography. I wrote a diary as my character, you yeah. know? So that way you have things you to fall back on. It, yeah. like, helps if you have uh, sort of memories that you've created. It's so much more productive when you have a director who's actually worked with you to be, like, let's act out things. So you have a literal memory of what it felt like in your body to do these things, even if it's a fake acting exercise. So if I say when you're seven, you know what that feels like as opposed to like I wrote a fictional story. Right. When you, I, I think yeah. it's just good shit. It's, sure. It's yeah. really real shit. And because it's like what I know about directing actors mm-hmm. is that do not use adjectives. Yes. You do not talk about the film you're trying to make. Right. You give them the information that they need to know yeah. right. so to you actually work. live in that moment. What's well, yeah. like a bad adjective? I don't know anything about directing. If actors. someone says like this is like your James Bond moment. Okay. You know, or this is kind of the moment where I want you to have, like, the hero shot where you become badass. Oh, you know, sure, I mean, I'm, sure, sure, I'm right. like, working yeah, a specific yeah. way, but where you talk to them about, like, the end result of what you want the moment to convey in the film as opposed to what they need to be feeling. Right. And sometimes, even if it is a technical thing you're trying to get at, it's so much more productive to find the way to trick them into getting there mm-hmm. than to tell them, like, the end result is I want you to be orange. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he said, he basically just, he said he, it's almost like he made a data bank of sense memory stuff. Right. You know, so he could, and Angley says here in this book, he says, so next time, next time he needs to get to that point, he doesn't need to go through all the psychological memories. Yeah. So it's conditioning, like with a yeah. tiger on yeah, set. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And like, especially for someone who's never been in a movie before, it just gives them like a really strong base. Yeah. You know? Um, my favorite part of this whole, the shipwreck section is the, the flying fish. New Zealand. That's a great scene. Yes, yes. When Lou Zealand is swimming through the water. That, uh, that's wonderful. I mean, I like the whale. It's weird they I cut like out the his cameo. Because that was in the earlier cut. Do you cut. remember? You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Muppet no, Lou Zealand from The Muppet Show was in the early cut that we saw. Throwing the fish. Ah, flying fish. And then Angley said it was like too distracting. They also had him wearing a Yann Martell he wig. He was also played by Tobey Maguire. He was played by Tobey Maguire in the Yann Martell that. wig. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but it was Lou Zealand. You guys were aware of the aspect, like the, the Yeah, the aspect stuff? ratio yes. stuff is so fun. Yeah. yeah. What's up with that? No, I just love that. And I think it's a thing that's underused where like he uses the sort of letterboxing to have the fish overlap over the sides of yeah. the frame. Which they really did it in the Ghostbusters movie a lot too. Yeah. Where it's just like, it's basically popping in the frame. But also, did you look at that 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 uh, talk that the French guy explaining the, yes. the moving? So Brian Gardner, who's the stereographer mm-hmm. on this, like the guy from Coraline, and I would say is like- The best third in One of the like, I'd say is like Ang Lee and then number two on this movie is Brian Gardner mm-hmm. in terms of why this movie's amazing. Right. He developed this thing that was a- it's the 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 proscenium frame is is basically on hinges on both sides and it's coming out like this it's coming out like that sometimes it bends out mm-hmm. um, there's all this stuff where the screen is basically falling backwards and you don't notice it there's mm-hmm. like a tremendous amount of stuff that is less showy than that it's very that is like working thoughtful, on psychologically incredible effective. just yeah. incredible yeah I mean yeah he is one of the few guys and I I said I felt this with Billy Lynn uh, as well in an episode we haven't recorded yet. Uh, definitely haven't recorded yet that he like really understands using that stereoscopic death as yep. Jesus Christ stereoscopic depth as a part of the language mm. you know like color or lighting or anything and that episode definitely isn't 
insanely long. No, it also doesn't definitely go off the rails in the last 30 minutes when we should have ended the episode already. Correct, and then we just start laughing constantly did, at God knows what. Did you guys talk about how his teeth are translucent and his skin is translucent when you see it in high frame rate? Uh, we wouldn't have talked about that because we haven't recorded the episode okay. yet. But also, uh, I forgot about that. You can see, if you see it the right way, you can yeah. see the blood moving through like the veins in the temple. So and it's fucking like, distracting. He's quite pale. He's a pale man. Yeah. No offense to Joe Alwyn, but he's... Yeah. he's. I, a, think a, that's, I think there's something there, though. Eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something there. <laughs> Life of Pi, guys. Yes. So, come on. Are there, is there anything else you want to talk about for the Carnivorous Island and the end of the movie? Um, there's sort of the big dream sequence, not oh, dream yeah. sequence, but sort of like into his mind. I like that. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Another thing was like the describing this movie as a boy on a boat with a tiger is a lie. There's all these yes. other things that right. happen because that now are like, it becomes yeah. like a little bit of like a Homer's Odyssey thing where they're yeah, going through the, like individual trials. There's not, but like there's not a lot of challenges that are relating to the practical challenges of life on a boat with a no, tiger. No, because now he's sort of fixed it. Now yeah, it's just these different that elements. Gets solved. Right, right. Yeah. right. I mean, there's the, the, the whale disrupts them. You know, there are things, yeah. you know, obviously there's the moment where he lets the tiger back onto the boat. Mm-hmm. It's this sort of like humane slash like necessary act, like even though the tiger's dangerous mm-hmm. and hungry. That's my favorite would have eaten piece of Richard Parker acting the whole movie is when he's sort him of like just vulnerable. so sort of pathetically yeah. clawing that's at when, the side of the That's what it looks like when you pet yeah. your cat. Yeah. Their mouth looks exactly like that. I love that. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, he, he gets to this island. Little pencil? Little pencil. You like the little pencil? Pencil gets oh, I love that. Yes. Oh, yeah. The last right. time you see him writing, you can't even see the lead. It's like so tiny that he's still scratching out. And they use the the tally marks on the side of the boat really well as a way to not have to like tell you how much time it's been. But every time they cut and you see it again, you're just like, Jesus fucking Christ. Did you read the section of the stuff I said that was actually about like the board that my mom had on this? Like, the, no, the, I can't imagine how Okay, hard so basically, this this, and this is the work that I yeah. think like my mom was the script supervisor on this, but I think that like I recently got into a bind on a project where I was asking for them to hire a script supervisor. Uh-huh. And they were just like, what you're describing is not a script supervisor. And eventually they just got me a hired another director to be my assistant. <laughs> and it was like, okay, that's like what my mom does basically. Uh-huh. And so they had this 20 foot board that was basically like they were charting. Like uh, the spiritual journey. Yes. Like with metrics, they were charting how much uh, Pi is becoming a tiger. Like um, just a, a tremendous, everything in this. Is, and his physical yeah. states are so different. All of that stuff. Basically, she, yeah. they were like, we are terrified of this thing not moving. Yeah. Everything needs to be changing. There has seem to be to a progression. And what they would do is they would chart yeah. it out on this big board. And whenever they would see dead spots, yeah. they would go, okay, now we got to put some dynamics in there. Yeah. And so it's always like changing color pad. Like it's, there's just a lot of, for a movie about just floating rudderlessly, uh-huh. literally, um, sure. there's a tremendous amount of like dynamic uh, kind of action going on, like on like uh, 13 different levels. The, the thing I just remember really standing out to me watching it without the VFX was that like even without the elements, even in this like environment that is clearly artificial, you're buying into it because he changes the storytelling language for each little section so much yeah. that it doesn't become monotonous. It doesn't just become like, here's a kid in the middle of the frame. Yeah, that's that's surrounded that's by fear. When I saw this movie, that mm-hmm. is how I felt about the movie. You thought it got repetitive. I thought I found it boring, especially once mm-hmm. he was on the boat. Uh, I think I was uninterested in 3D at the time. I think I was sick of 3D. Yeah. Because it's 2011, right? So we're like two years into 3D. 
This is like, well, because there was the run for like a couple years where there's that weird thing where like four consecutive best cinematography Oscars were won by 3D films. Is that right? Four? Avatar, Life of Pi, Hugo, and Gravity. But you're missing 2010 in there. Okay, so four out of five consecutive years are won by it. And it felt like once a year, a major director steps up to the plate. It feels like the general public is starting to sour on 3D, but once a year someone steps up and it becomes an event. And even if you think you don't like 3D, you have to see Gravity in 3D. You have to see Life of Pi in 3D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hugo performed worse out of those, but it was obviously very well regarded. Yeah. And then then that kind of ends. Like then it stops being like major filmmakers are going to try to make their 3D movie. Like abruptly in a really kind of interesting way. Because it was like proven that on average 3D movies weren't performing as well. But if a major person made one that was like, oh, this is intrinsically tied to the storytelling and they've done the research to make the tech work, it would always do well. I'm trying to find the last cinematography movie that was even a th- like a movie that was even available in 3D. Right. Mad Max wasn't, right? It was. Okay, so Mad Men. Um, anyway, uh, I didn't like this movie. Uh-huh. I now remember that I was going through an insane uh, like end of relationship, close to breakup, like time. Then this when was this like movie right before we met. Yes, we became friends because we were both yes. not doing well. Correct, and perhaps that influenced my like somewhat sort of sour opinion. Of this movie, sure. when I watch it now, I was very taken with it and fond of it. Like maybe not like my favorite Ang Lee, but like your ex at the time also was a Bengal tiger. But this they, film is a little triggering for you. I you know, have to admit. That's true. And you used to live in a little boat. Did that yeah. did that scene though where he's saying you've taken you've chefs. taken my family, you've taken everything. What I surrender, what else do you want? Did that resonate with you at that moment in your life? Because yeah, very I, much so. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's it's yeah. basically word for word a conversation. No, uh, yeah, no. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and I remember in the QA too, just being like, uh he asked like he asked me directly, like, is this thing working for you? And I said, like, after that scene, like yeah. I'm I'm just I this is the greatest movie ever. You know, like I just like it, Yeah, you I, like full stop love this movie. I think David yeah. and I are in similar places where I like like it. I would say yeah, I like it a yeah. lot. Okay. If you've ever had the experience of going seeing your like friends indie band play yeah. a show and you're like, I just like feel so good that they're on stage and they seem really confident and like all this stuff. It's like imagine going and seeing your friend's band and, and the band is Life of Pi. Sure. You know sure. what I mean? I fucking sure. love this movie. It's like sure. I'm so proud of these and people. And the thing yeah. you told me is like, you know, speaking to people who are working on the film and everything. It was constantly like, I don't know if we're going to fucking pull this off. Yeah. We might really have overreached. Hard. Sure. This is already Which is a difficult kind story of to tell. what happened with Billy Lynn. Yes. You know? Billy Lynn is like an overreach. Which I think definitely gave him the courage to think that it was worth trying Billy Lynn when he's like 10 years ahead of anyone realistically attempting that. Um, but yeah, so he gets on the carnivorous island. That's cool. That's just like a D&D adventure. Yeah, because it kind like of feels that. like maybe like problem solved. I like solved. that in the book too. Yeah, yeah. right. But also, I just like that idea of like, oh, you've reached paradise, and like, it's filled so with many, timones. It's filled we with got timones for days. <laughs> but just like that, you know, like the classic stranded man, it would be like, oh, you see a mirage, and yes. it's not there, or something, right. right? You know, but like this is and like, this no, is it's like, there. There's a tooth wrapped up. Is that the beef from Blair Witch Project? Yes, it definitely is. Weird, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Highest paid. Yeah. Wait, In what? What do you? I they the open up a th- it's like the big scary. Oh, nothing God. scary yeah. happens in that movie yeah. except for they open up a like a yeah, package with a right. tooth. The in scariest it. part of the Blair Witch Project yeah. is well, apart from the ending, is that like that weird right. uh, package of goo and tooth. And it's the same tooth. It's they paid the tooth two point five. Tooth gets a width in this movie. I don't know if you noticed that tooth gets the width. 
with tooth. I have a quick Fallen World sidebar for one second. Please. The, the moment that I really, a movie I have not seen. I really started to like that movie was when I realized that that T Rex that was in the back of the truck drugged and uh, like an Ambien or whatever was the same T Rex that was chasing the Jeep in the first movie. And I think that Brontosaurus that dies is like the first. I think that those are arcs oh, over they, they, movies that's what they're suggesting. for specific <laughs> dinosaurs. I think they're going there. The captain is very into that. <laughs> he talks about Jurassic World being unforgiven for the T-Rex. Oh, really? And that is all I will say about that. <laughs> Did you hear the way I just said really like? Yes. Dismayed? That is all I will say about that. Okay. Um, I, I like will watch Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom at some point. You should. Yeah. I, I'm movie. more into it when people describe it. That's kind of how I felt watching it. I yeah. do like the first scene, though, and I like some of the end. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. The last three minutes is pretty cool. Yeah, but, well, we could talk about it. But not today. We're not, not talking about that today. Today. So he gets off the carnivorous island, but pretty quickly after that, he ends up on good, normal, safe island. He does. That's the thing. It's like, you're like, oh, man, like, he oh, came so close. So and then it's like, well, no, actually, five minutes yeah, later in the movie, like he makes it. And, and it's yeah. like, I think it's just that idea of we've reached the end of the story. Right. We've reached the plausibility breaking he's point. He's reached his journey, when his relationship with the When he's talking about that to the, the Japanese right. people, uh, the Japanese insurance yeah. agents, they're like, a carnivorous. Yeah, come on. What are you talking about? Here. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Does this represent some kind of like, you know, like the, the dream sequence he has in like Passion of the Christ where he like mm-hmm. imagines getting off. The, it's like, it's the last thing where you almost get distracted from right. here. Like, it's like, a, it's, a, it's a trap, right? Right, he end. almost doesn't make it. Yeah. He almost falls prey and succumbs at the last possible moment. Right, right, right. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. I also always get really grossed out when he eats that like root. You don't like vegetables. It just looks gross. Yeah, it's I love the mossy and pink on the end. You know, he that Richard Parker just walks off. uh, Yeah, that that hits me really fucking hard. It does, and and the uh, um, Sharma plays it so well. Yes, you know the 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 emotion, like the crying, like it's actually hard to do that. Right, you're like right. It's just like a fucking tiger. He doesn't have any relationship to me. He doesn't think about like, man, we went through this crazy fucking thing together. But then I suppose there's metaphorical import to like, you know, it's like his, uh, like a part of him yeah. is gone. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, they put a lot of stress in, in the making of book on that, this very last shot yeah. before it goes to the credits and they're like, pay attention to it, see what it is. And they really like cue it as like decipher this. Uh huh. I've, I've done what I think I can do. It's basically like a, you know, vertigo type Hitchcock yes, thing where it like, right. extends and then the color drains from it. Yeah. And they're like, what is that shot? And it basically is him passing out. Yeah. Like the movie ends when he, like the, the spirit animal he's had to create to survive, he no longer needs it. It disappears and he goes unconscious. Right. So that's, you yeah. know, we've been talking around it, but the twist of this movie is. Well, we kind of talked about it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's essentially a disassociative episode. Right. <laughs> like he creates an but alternate it, identity to all, be able to win his own survival. Yeah. It's, through a, it's horrifying a narrative. traumatic means. Right. Right. And it's much like. I guess there's this, you can draw this idea that like, kind of like the stories of religion, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause there's those early scenes where he's with the priest where he's like, but why, why would God send his son and have him suffer for it? Like that just <laughs> right. seems mean yeah. and all that, you know, like where he's like, what is this story you're telling me? It seems so impossible to empathize with or what, you know? Well, and what's interesting about it to me is that when he tells the story, it's so much about that initial incident with the cook and the sailor right. and his mother, which is why I asked if it's longer in the book with the animals. Because what happens with the animals, it's just like a pretty fast, like two-minute <laughs> sort of sequence, right? 
Yeah. And here it's clear when it tells the story that like that was the real thing. And then he doesn't even really tell them about the survival after that in the same kind of way, you know? Uh-huh. So this whole rest of the journey that we've been watching is him just fucking coming to terms with what he's done. Less yeah. than the actual act, you know? When I was reading this uh, breakdown that my uh, uh, college professor, Scott Higgins, hi Katie, um, was uh, basically breaking down like all the stereoscopic kind of uh, mm-hmm. things that they're doing. And they basically said in that last scene where he's giving the kind of confession to the auditors, basically, mm-hmm. uh, the investigators, it, it is like that scene in Fallout where the walls fall backwards. Yeah. And, and where it's just framed Great on Tom scene. Cruise and you feel that like vertigo thing. Mm-hmm. Basically, as this is going on, they're taking that animated like ang- they they have a proscenium that they can angle right and they drop it backwards and then extend like they're doing all this crazy so the stuff. room sort of gets wider and deeper and their faces come more and more forward so you that- basically are falling up and towards the screen you crazy. get a, a kind yeah. of like a you know like a flight of passage kind yeah. of like yeah, yeah. yeah out of body experience uh, that's crazy there's a lot of cool stuff. I think this is like worth watching in 3D yeah, I think I'm gonna buy the 3D blower. You gotta do it. Since I have the last I, 3D TV I, I ever made. I spent the summer uh, up at like I was up at uh, living at Doug Trumbull's house, and he has a great 3D TV. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, most of this this was the movie like True Lies or something, where it's like every day at lunch, he had all these 3D Blu-rays, mm-hmm. and we would just always watch like let's just watch this like 25 minutes of Life of Pi with our glasses on. Let's watch this, you know, and and, and yeah. just kind of skip around in the movie. It's really really fun to watch that way. Yeah. And, and I, I find also, like, 3D movies are often better on smaller screens. You can kind of get a better Sometimes. sense of what they're doing. I, I really like 3D. I know I you do too. hate it, David. I don't hate it. I just have you, no interest You go in like, pfft, you do the thing where you throw your arms up. I do that a lot. Like the, the big air puppet outside a used car dealership. <laughs> That's sort of the Sims move where you're just like, ah! Um, it rarely does much for me. It gives me a headache. You and just, I, it, I spent so much of my experience being like, okay, I have to hold my head just like this. And now everything looks good. Uh, I, 3D is good with really expensive glasses and yes. it's terrible with 3D real D glasses which is what they give you I just get bummed out that I feel like the lazy 3D the sort of cash and post conversions and that sort of like kind of crazed hunger to cash in post avatar it can be good yeah yeah because yeah, i do can. like the the sort of like what we we're talking about of like once or twice a year here's a serious director using it in a very pointed way and I feel like the glut of sort of just like the sloppy post conversions has soured people on it so much that you don't have people actually like trying to do something pointed with it, yeah. using it as a thematic tool. But I'm also like, like I say, it just in, like, doesn't like get, I say in the yeah. Billy Lynn episode, I like the window. I'm trying to watch the movie. Like, I like looking at a frame. Like, that's what I like about cinema. I'll tell you what I like about 3D. Okay. I like that. I Is it that like the images sort of like come out of the screen? Yeah, that was very concise. Yeah. <laughs> What I like about it is I don't think it actually reflects reality. I sure, like no, the stylization yeah. of it. Yeah, you know? I, yeah. Like watching a 3D movie for me feels like watching a musical. David's doing the arm thing again, where it's just like this is just like an expressionistic tactic rather than That's breaking it into well. song. Yes, yeah. It's like they're using the force of these objects in relation to each other to make you feel things. And, and here's the, I think why the movie has to be 3D. Yeah. And why Ang Lee figured this out. Is it like, okay, you got to go back to that scene in Pondicherry, when they're when you go from the comic book insert mm-hmm. that gets so crazy looking, and then it cuts to the shot of someone just like putting a candle on the water, that candle moves out, the yeah. whole background's out of focus, and you realize it's actually like a four thousand person right. thing that they did. And then the, lovely movie. and and like thinking uh, about the that, movie right now, they were talking about shooting that scene. They said there was like, the entire crew was on set lighting candles, and yeah. it was just like there was the moment where they all just bonded forever as a unit. 
Um, I but, just think like ripples in 3D of the water will never stop being captivating. Right. Okay, here's what he says. Vishnu sleeps floating on the shoreless cosmic ocean and we are the stuff of his dreaming. And then he just stops and says, spectacle. That's cool. You know, and, he, and, and, and the dad says, don't let these stories and pretty lights fool you, boys. Religion is darkness. And I think this movie is like using 3D and mm-hmm. spectacle to kind of like, it's like a church. You go into yeah. this movie and yeah. it, it is a, it is a, it's a spiritual experience. Right. And it's, he's, he's not sure whether that's safe or not. And it's like, he's you. afraid of spiritual experiences yes. that give meaning to chaos. And so the, the thing needs to have so many exploding socks and so much just kind of like uh, adorn, adornment to it mm-hmm. because that's what it's, it's about the danger of, of, of maybe succumbing to, to believing in the, in the really like Baroque version of what happened. Also that you know? sort of stylization and technological like immersement is like getting you into the story in the same way that Rafe Spall is like fully just head in listening to every single detail of this thing. I, what I love about Rafe Spall's character is Rafe Spall keeps trying, he's too, he's too greedy. You know, yeah. I, think, I think that scene where he reaches for the bread on the table and then sees that he's praying and gets kind of ashamed and then Irfan Khan, that line ring goes, yeah, let's eat, is like fantastic. Is. Yeah. Like that's like a hinge point for the movie. And I, what I do like about Ray Spall's character is he's like a gluttonous, like white bastard who's just like, give me, give me the payoff, give me the payoff. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm here to extract it. Well, and also, you know? well, and he, and then he eventually learns to like stop asking questions, and he realizes yeah. like, yeah. uh, the story will come as it comes. Like, yeah. Because when he first mentions the tiger, he's like, oh yeah, no, there was a tiger. You know. Um, but there's also that scene very early on where he's like, I really liked your first book, and he's like, oh, thank you, I've been writing the second one. Oh, is it set in Pondicherry? Is that why you're there? No, it's set in Portugal. It's just cheaper in Pondicherry. And he goes like, oh. like, And you can yeah. tell like he's got a judgment yeah. about him. But he just sort of like lets it simmer and then he doesn't say anything. Which I remember in the Maguire version, him being like fully sold on the wonder of the story from the get-go. Like he sure. was playing it much more like, oh my God, this is amazing. What great luck that I've met this guy. And it felt like they were trying to set him up as more of a traditional, like in a weird way, audience surrogate. Like, you're hearing the story through him, whereas, like, the Ray Spall stuff in this is still at a distance, where you're watching how the guy processes the story rather than hearing the story through him. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, Which I think I, is smarter. In the book, I think I remember it being more, they're more fighting uh-huh. about religion. Like, it's more of, like, an like physically? argument. Yeah, yeah, they physically fight. He throws sure. them through a window. Yeah. And it's crazy. Yeah, and then there's, like, cool. a big, like, parkour scene yeah. where they're, like, chasing each other around Montreal. <laughs> oh, my God. David... Through his headphones, he broke them, and he's now setting the studio on fire. I mean, it was right there. Yeah, the it taping. was right there. It was right there. Um, um, but you know, right. So there's like a little more sense of like when he says like, and so it goes with God. You're like, oh, he's really like convinced him or sure. made a profound argument that he understands is profound. So the argument uh, with people, I guess, who prefer the book to this is that the book is more ambiguous and sort of putting you in the position of like which story would you rather right, believe right, whereas right, the movie right. it feels like just because I think it's the nature of having people act these things mm. feels a lot more weighted towards this is a coping mechanism yeah because you have Irfan Khan and you have uh, Sharma like talking these stories through and, and the choices they made as actors make it seem like they're dealing with a tremendous amount of trauma sure yeah I, I think my big like revelation at seven in the morning as well as I was walking around my, my neighborhood was I was like 
Okay, so the cool thing about this film is it's like a big tent film. And uh-huh. that's why it works as a four-quadrant hit. Is sure. Because you can actually go in and have different experiences. Yes. You know? And, and it was rated PG. Yeah, which is crazy. Yeah. And, and instead of like doing what most four-quadrant films do where they say like, let's hem in this, let's hem in that, let's like not offend as many people as right. possible. This one goes like, you can have radically, like if you yeah. believe in God, this film goes really hard for you. If you're like raised like a violent atheist like right. I am, you watch the film and you go, Okay, so this is cool that they tricked religious people into watching this. And then this morning I realized Ang Lee believes in God. Yes. For sure. Yeah, 100%. And I got tricked. Yeah. You know what I mean? This is not like I am an atheist who was tricked into thinking that this movie was on my side. He also like talks about that like his sense of God is very much just the idea of there being like a power that's tying things together, you know, rather than like following a certain like kind of narrative of, like, the religious trials of, like, the development of man and things like that. But, I mean, just in the process of when they describe him making this film, like, yeah. he was being guided. You know, and there's yes. a lot of stuff where it's, like, there was a symbol, basically, on the tiger's head. Like, he cast the tiger because there was, like, a sign mm-hmm. on his head. And there's, like, all these photos of them, do, like, praying on set. And, and you know, it's, like, it's really— uh, And when he describes, like, his process, process of directing, it's much more like just paying attention to the world yeah. and kind of trusting the hand of fate. Yes. You know? Uh, definitely. Uh, as you said, a weird four-quadrant hit. It very much so. Do you want to play the box? Up yeah. Because okay. there were you read a lot of press before the movie came out. Everyone was like, that thing's going to fucking flop. Like, even if it does okay, it was so expensive. They're releasing it in Thanksgiving. And then, like, Hurricane Sandy happened. And people That's were right. like, are That's they, right. it's a fucking storm movie, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, but they released a trailer that was just... Very much sort of like a showcase reel. Like they'd be like, now an exclusive look at Life of Pi. And it was, I think, the first section. I'm trying to remember what it was. They did one of those things where before 3D movies, they released like an excerpt, almost uh-huh. like maybe it was the, the Dark Knight thing before I Am Legend. Maybe it was I'm part at. of the shipwreck or something. I, I vaguely remember I that. I think it might have been the sequence with the flying fish. Uh, that sounds, pos- that yeah. sounds yeah. very plausible. Yeah. yeah. It also premiered at the New York Film Festival and like got good reviews. Yeah. And that was like a couple months before it came out. So there was like, you know, but some healthy buzz. Very much a movie that felt like it could have landed in the middle in terms of not getting rave reviews, not doing great box office. Landed weirdly on a static ends of both. Thanksgiving weekend. Yes. 2012. Okay. Number one is the fifth in a franchise and final. Is it Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2? Yes. Which I think we may have discussed in a box office game before. Which is also the best. In its second weekend. One day we'll we'll really hash it out about the Twilight movies. Yes, we will. Uh, number two. Mm-hmm. Is all, in its third weekend, it's made $221 million. <sighs> it's really, it's the, mo- it's the most astonishing hit within a very successful franchise. Some, so it's the highest grossing? I believe so. I don't believe so. I know so. Oh, is it uh, Skyfall? Skyfall. Yeah. The 23rd Bond yeah. movie, I believe. Far and away the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like one of those things where Bond had always done well. There was a ceiling though. To but it made a billion dollars. Yeah. And like that was like, oh, what? Like that, that doesn't usually. You yeah. Know. Also known as jellyfish reflection to me. That's all this I care about. This was a big year for like like jellyfish in movies. Love those moon jellies. Because yeah. everyone got scared off after seven pounds. And then this year, like Ang Lee, Sam Mendes are like, I'm bringing jellyfish back. Baby. Speaking of seven pounds, the After Earth Gemini Man comparison is going to be so fantastic. Because oh, instead wait. of making Jaden into little Will Smith. It's little Will Smith. It's Will Smith fighting little Will Smith. And it's 
I'm so excited. I hope they dress him like the Fresh Prince. I hope it's good. It's going to be amazing. Are you, I mean, here's the thing I would say as like being a kid that grew up as like a family friend of Ang Lee. Mm-hmm. Every single time he's decided to make a film, it's been baffling. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's always right, like, you're yeah. like, what? Really? Yeah, because my mom works on Ice Storm and then it's like, uh-huh. where's, what's Ang doing? So Ang is making a Kung Fu movie. Yeah. Okay. All right. Like, okay. Ang's making Hulk. Okay. Okay. It's a, it's a cowboy, it's a gay cowboy. Right. Just, like, these all sound banana it's a, yeah, it's a movie about like lateral moves yeah a movie yeah, about yeah, someone yeah. having a panic attack in the middle of a destiny's, tri- destiny's child it's <laughs> right. just like, insane yeah so it's like when i hear like okay it's like it's a will smith film where it's like basically looper yeah right right you know except he's playing both parts but the, i think right. the idea that's so amazing about it is just that like uh like I, the, will smith as a young man did not get those opportunities to like give like a yes. phenomenal performance sure until and 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 also here okay my big theory is that uh all the stuff that Will Smith has been doing on Instagram is similar to what he did with this actor, where he's becoming young again, actually, through Sense Memory. Oh, that's kind of Will Smith. Don't you think? Will Smith on Instagram has been adorable. He's been Because really he's yes. young again. Interesting. He's yeah. training Very himself to be young again. And that's what we're seeing. We're, and, it's just, and if to that me, energy it's, is going into this movie. Yeah. And I'll say, like, I also... It's the first time Will Smith's working with a really big, important, smart director in a, in a while. Sounds like Michael Mann. Arguably, yeah. right? I, I want to look at his filmography just to make sure I'm not like dissing someone. But like, and you know, like, no offense to David Ayer sure. or Akiva Goldsman. Right. But like, I mean, do you count M. Night Shyamalan? Because if not, at then, that point, he's like, that's a bronze star. But also, you know? like, if not, you kind of got to go back yeah. to basically like either Alex Proyas if you, if you buy that yeah. or, you know, Michael Mann. What were you going to say? Oh, I just think that, that, that you know, uh, M. Night Shyamalan coming off of, like, both of these things, I think, like, they're signing on to Will Smith projects, like, Will Smith-generated yes, projects. which finds, is very interesting. and makes sense in, like, a post-Billy Lynn climate, but it's, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see what that movie uh, looks I'm like. very curious. But I do, I mean, what you were saying about, like, every project he signs on to sounding, like, just completely confusing. I've been watching uh, these movies a lot of them with the lady I've been dating, Humble Brag. And uh, like once every 20 Wait, minutes. I should have said Humble Brag. Yeah, I'm calling my own Humble no, Brag. No, you say it, say it again. I've been watching a lot of these movies with the lady that I've been the dating, Humble Brag. Humble Brag. Humble Brag. Fucking Humble Brag. He roasts me so much for daring. I'm to very proud of you, actually. I think Thank this you. is great stuff. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, but she like every 20 minutes during whatever movie we're watching will just go like, Wait a second, Angley's career is fucking crazy. Sure. Like she just in response to random scenes from movies will be like, How is this the same guy that made that thing? It's true. Especially and she when just, you watch them all at once. This has been a, a really fun miniseries for that exact Remind reason. me what the one before this is, is and just, the one after this is, and she just goes like that's insane. It's just why I wanted to do them, because it's that thing of right. like the genres switch that they toggle so crazily. Right. Yeah. Like I was talking to her about Hulk and she was like, So what does he make after Hulk? And I'm like, broke back. And she was like, What do you make before that? I was like, Crouching Tiger. And I honestly think it's like there's a lot of directors. It's like you, the, like the Werner Herzog model, where you're like, look at that thing up on the mountain. I'm going to go run up there as fast right. as I can, and then I will prove to you that life can be like this. Yeah, that is not what he does. He's not a crazy. He's no. not like an arrogant person. I think he's actually a person who is just reacting to the world. Yeah, taking his, his cues from it. And like when if I talk to him on the set of Billy Lynn about what he's doing, I genuinely get the impression that it's his understanding that this was the only rational path forward. <laughs> Seriously, but that's that's part of his. But that's yeah. why it's skill as an artist, yeah. right? Is that he's resolute about the things he does. 
And also it's like if you read the the stuff I sent you about like the backstory mm-hmm. of of him actually the whole thing of like, oh, he wanted to be an actor. Right. But it was like it's many steps before that. It's like he basically was Mikey from the Ice Storm. The right. way he describes himself as a kid. Just like he's like, I was spaced out, I was brooding. My entire childhood was only a, went to art school because he couldn't get into any other. Couldn't school. get into the military. Right, right, failed right, the right, military failed the test. <laughs> right, and then got yeah. sent to the art academy, which is basically like Laguardia High School. It's just like hide these kids here, right? You right, know, right so they don't right, get beat right, up. Right, right, but he was right. just sort of guided and, through the yeah, universe. Yeah, and then in that is like can't do theater stuff because it's so verbal. Yeah, and then get, goes to film school and goes, "This is bullshit." Like I've fucked up my life, and then he realizes that on his first sight and sound thing, people are listening to him. For the first time in his life. Yeah. Mm. And he said, like, I was actually the first time that people listened. And he said, I did it because it was really easy and because people listened to me for the first time. And yeah, I've been directing ever since. It's crazy. You know, and I honestly think this, his nice career man. is the, he's, yeah, it's it all seems, real. Seems very But it's nice. like, this was the, as, as wild and as ambitious as these films are, I think they're all him being like, I think this is the path of least resistance. Yes. And I'm a good, responsible person. Like this is this was my only choice. That's this what the only feels crazy about them is like his filmography. If you look at it, I think we've said this before. Is it feels like he's like a 1940 studio system guy where they're like, "Here's the new movie we're assigning you." Like it looks like the filmography of a guy who doesn't choose what films he makes because they're so varied and all over the place. That's like Howard Hawks. Now you got to do a screwball. Now you got to do a western. You know, except it's very deliberate. And it's just him oscillating between all these weird different modes. So number three <laughs> oh, wow. at the box office. Sorry. Is, yes. No, it's fine. I, I, want, I want to do that. I thought it'd be funny. Uh, is uh, one of the other Best Picture nominees. We already discussed it. Argo? Nope. Argo is number 10. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook? Nope. Silver Linings Playbook is number nine. They're all in there. Uh, Lincoln. Z- Z- oh, Lincoln. Oh, Blade Lincoln. What's it up to at this point? Uh, Sixty-two million in three weeks. It's no. going to make and another it's growing. One hundred and twenty million dollars. Another Av Kaufman masterpiece. Yes. Now, Life of Pi is Life of Pi is number five with wow. only thirty million in its opening weekend. Yeah, I mean, but Thanksgiving is one of those weekends where you can yeah, have like yeah, multiple films yeah, open yeah, while. Eat. Yeah. But uh, number four also opening this weekend. Yeah, because even after that weekend, that was not. That would not have given Fox confidence they were going to make a profit on this film. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's an animated film, number four. Number four is an animated film. Uh, is it Hotel Transylvania? Correct. Incorrect. What? Incorrect. Uh, is it Wreck-It Ralph? Nope. That's number six. Fuck. Uh, is it a DreamWorks? Yes, it is a DreamWorks. But you hesitated, so it wasn't an obvious DreamWorks. I barely remember the existence of this movie. I feel like you have some take where you're like, no, it's not bad. Oh, oh, yeah. This is the best DreamWorks movie the last 10 years. Oh, God, wait. Rise of the Guardians? Yeah, you think this oh is good? God. Yeah, fucks. It's an, un- okay, talk about an unfilmable concept. They can't show, it's a movie about owls that tear each other's no, bodies. No, you're thinking That's of Legend of the Guardians. What am I the Owls of Gahul, directed okay. by Zack Snyder. Sorry, sorry, this sorry. is Legend of the Guardians. No, that's Legend of the Guardians. Oh, this is Rise this of the Guardians? This is Rise of the Guardians. I mean, it's clear that Excuse me, excuse Rise me. Rise of the Guardians is the one where, like, Santa and, like, Hitler unite or whatever. It's, I don't. <laughs> it's the Avengers of, of children's imagination. It's so, Easter me, Bunny. Sandman. Fucking Tooth Fairy. Desecration. Russian Mafia Santa Claus played by Alec Baldwin. It fucking rules. Chris Pine is Jack Frost. He's a very handsome boy, and they fight nightmares. 
Well, it made it's a, an elegant some, movie based off it, a William Joyce story. Okay, it made thirty-two million dollars at the box office, underperforming, and it's a crime. It made three hundred million dollars worldwide. Should have made three hundred billion dollars <laughs> worldwide. Oh, that'd be a lot. I insist that everyone rent Rise of the Guardians now. Uh, you've also got uh, Red Dawn, the remake of Red Dawn. It doesn't exist. Never happened. Really doesn't exist. Uh, you know, uh, that movie was made with uh, China as the enemy rather than Russia. And then the Chinese box office grew so much that they digitally changed it to North Korea. I did know. Do that. you know about what happened to Ghostbusters answer the call? No, because uh, uh, ghosts Ancestor are worship. illegal. Ancestor yeah. worship. Ghosts are illegal in China. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Yeah. All four of those characters being like, we're going to beat up your grandma. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They are afraid of some ghosts. And the um, people's mainland of China. Taken 2. People's mainland of China. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Taken yeah. 2, one of the greatest premises and one of the most mediocre movies. Okay. Uh, that's that's the box office. It did very well, as you, we said. Do you it remember made like the premise of Taken 2? No. Every, oh, it's that all the people he killed in Taken 1 are mad at him. All the henchmen. All the united. henchmen were related yeah, to yeah, yeah, one yeah, guy yeah, who's yeah. like, he killed all of my nephews. <laughs> All 200 nephews, and now I gotta get my revenge. It's one of the most audacious openings to a movie. He's fleefing through photos of his family and going, killed by Brian Mills, killed by Brian Mills. He's throwing them all into a mass grave, and he went, I will find this man. And then it cuts to fucking Liam Neeson yelling at a car wash attendant. All right. Well, uh, we're this done. is our five hour episode on Life of Pi. Mm-hmm. We're done. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Ray, what Do you else? have any final yeah. thoughts? What else do you want to say before we uh, head off into the sunset? Like Richard Parker, without looking back. I, I'm just so honored to be a part of this. Oh, this show has been incredibly, oh. incredibly important to me for the last like there, uh, two years. You know, when really. we were seeing, was it Rogue One? I remember you telling me how Ray had just talked to you about how much he loved the show. Remember that? Yes. And yes. I was like in a rush and I was like, what the fuck? Are you, I don't know who you're talking about right now. And it was you, very you short with you. You had said a very nice thing <laughs> to me about the show and I related to David and David was angry that his girlfriend, Humble Bragg, was late to the movie. Yes. I, Even though yes. we had reserved seats. We had reserved seats. You were very stressed out I was very stressed out about something and I didn't know who you were talking about. Yes. And I was like, Huh? But um, uh, I, that has always stuck with me. I've been a I massive, massive fan of Ray's work for nah. a very, very long time. I never told you this, Ooh. but I uh, literally wrote a paper on you in film school. What? On uh, your short film, Death of Ten Men. Spoiler oh, wow. Yeah. I don't think it was very good. Uh, it, was, it was talking about, uh, it wasn't in a film class. It was like talking about like artistic inspiration. Wow. Truly. Um and uh, and we and we knew the same people didn't know each other for years and years and years and then we sort of became friends through you listening to the podcast. We saw Allied together. Right, right. Which Fox? That's a good movie. Allied Fox. I'd I'd watch Allied again for this podcast and see what I think about it. If, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Last time it. I saw Allied, Donald Trump had been elected the day before. Not good. <laughs> so that may have colored my opinion of Not it. Not good, very bad. Don't do it. I mean, my 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 uh, take on Allied is that I really liked the the desert stuff. Like I liked it, and then it was the England stuff where it lost me. But, yeah, I yeah. love all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray, thank Ed's you for being head here. Is in his hands. Thank you so much. Uh, ben uh, is uh, homeless. <laughs> ben and going through going some stuff. Through some stuff. And we and we love him. Ben's sort of <laughs> in the middle of his lifeboat in the middle of the ocean right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and he's begging for a tiger to jump in with him. Please. <laughs> Come on. Come Eat at me, me, tigers. Ben needs uh, company right now. 
If you need to stay at my place, I actually have some room right now, for real. It's uh, an option. Okay, we'll okay. talk off okay. mic. Yeah, this, you're actually going to have a conversation <laughs> about this off Immediately mic. Immediately consider that. Yeah, thank you very much for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Thanks to Andrew Goodup for our social media, Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork, Lane Montgomery for our theme song. Go to blankdesire.com for some real nerdy shit. And as always, uh, <laughs> truly feel free to tweet at Ben if you have a suggestion of where he left. Hey, Ben, uh, also, we're uh, sponsored today by uh, Typeset in the Future, which is a book coming out from Abrams Books that's uh, by blogger and designer Dave Addy. Uh, and it invites like sci-fi movie fans on a journey through genre-defining classics. You know, your 2001, your Star Trek, your Alien, your Blade Runner, these great sci-fi movies. They look at how these movies use vi- creative visions of the future through typography and design. So, you know, you can see all these cool film stills, these concept arts, these uh, type specimens. And then they got interviews with people like Paul Verhoeven, former subject guy. of a blank check miniseries, yeah. Pod Chip Casters. Uh, so it's very geeky. It's very, it's honestly very David Sims. It's uh, fonts and title cards and stuff like that in uh, sci-fi movies. It's on sale November 6th from Abrams Books.